I read you. Where are you? Flying blind on a rocket cycle. Flying blind on a rocket cycle? And now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important. At the beginning, when you try the first time the 500, Fourth is Sylvain Gintoli. Sylvain taking a second out of Tony Elias in one lap with five to go. Permission to become a complete fan. Uh, no, I am your mate. <laughs> Sorry. Go on, Sylvain. Rostrum boy. I hope you're up early in Boston. Come on, Caroline. I'm sure you can chat loud enough. Put the bottle down. It's too early. Racing it. Life. Anything that happened before or after. Just waiting. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show of record, the show that matters, and the show that puts you on pole position for the news, the commentary, and the opinion in the world of motorcycle road racing. Yes, you are now back for episode number 84. It is the Michelle Fabrizio edition. Now, whether or not uh, it's the wizard, uh, the hurricane the typhoon or just the gentle ocean breeze and uh, don't know uh, but by all indications it sounds like mr fabrizio may be looking for some work here very very soon uh, depending on how a few things with that xerox ducati team work out so wow lots of stuff to cover this week and let's get right to it of course i uh Forgot to pull up one website here and trying to do that as I talk to you. So the email address, as always, and that is rumblestripradio at gmail.com. And I'd like to thank everyone who uh, did send some feedback uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Rich Zane, uh, a couple different times talking about this show and um, and also the new Live Fast Racing show that uh, John Hall and I did a week ago now, I guess it was. Uh, new listener, uh, Mike from uh, Hope Mills, North Carolina. So uh, appreciate uh, you sending in uh, sending in some feedback and uh, the good words that you had to say there. Uh, so uh, props to you. Sorry, I'm doing a couple different things here, which I normally don't do, uh, but it's uh, trying something a little bit different here. We are streaming on Stickam. So it's uh, Stickam, S-T-I-C-K-A-M.com forward slash rumble strip radio now if you follow us on the twitter or the pounce which is would be twitter.com forward slash rumble strip radio or pounce.com forward slash rumble strip radio and uh that would be i'm sorry forward slash rumble strip and it's yeah my bad twitter.com forward slash rumble strip and pounce.com forward slash rumble strip um, whether or not I'm going to continue to do this going forward, I don't know. Um, but I figured I'd try it for once. And in, uh, so I'm sending out some notifications on Twitter and on Pounce that uh, I'm recording the show. So if you can look in. And I'm not always going to do it now and whatever, but we'll see. Feedback, rumblestripradio at gmail.com. Website, rumblestripradio.com. Uh, and that's where you can find all the links for the show. Um, usually you throw up a picture or two, usually one picture, um, links, friends of the strip, 
And uh, it's also where you can find the donate button, and that's where, you know, a little up the upper right-hand corner, and uh, it says donate now, I believe. And that hooks us up with our PayPal account, and uh, even if it's just 5 bucks, that helps to go offset, excuse me, the cost for hosting and Skype calls and, and things like that. So if you could do that, that would be much, much appreciated. So let's uh, dive head in, head on into the show. And uh, what do we have here? Three or four things of note up front. Um, my my uh, Fireblade is for sale, or the CBR900RR. I've decided that uh, while it's a cool bike, and I've actually done a lot more riding here in the last couple weeks, um, it's just not the bike for me. Uh, other that's the all, all I can come up with is it's it's a great bike. It's got good torque, good power, handles well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's a great Honda, which means it's technically it's it's very well done, but it doesn't speak to me whether or not it doesn't have enough character uh whether or not i was looking thinking it was going to be something it's not uh, i i don't know so i've decided to sell it if you're interested um i got an ad on craigslist on the detroit craigslist it's on um on the Weira board uh where else is that the af1 aprilia board uh yeah craigslist detroit so or if you just want to if you're interested you can email me almostripradio at gmail.com can uh you know hook you up so uh, what am I going to buy after this? Um, I don't know, probably some type of V-twin standard-style bike, whether that's a Monster, an SV650. Uh, I got one person trying to talk me into a Kawasaki ZRX1100. Yeah, 1100. So who knows? Don't know. May end up not having a, a motorcycle at all and getting a car because uh, my POS is a POS. So. Uh, also wanted to give a happy birthday to uh, David Emmett of MotoGPMatters.com, and we need to spend some time talking about all the good stuff uh, that David had on his blog here yesterday, I believe it was, on Tuesday. Hey, yeah, it was Tuesday. It was just uh, three updates. It was uh, some good stuff, and, and we're going to circle back and, and talk about that in a couple minutes. Uh, as many of the things that uh, he addresses, many things going on with uh, one Mr. Spees and also some of the World Superbike silly season stuff. Also, um, a, a bit of a sad farewell to Pinky's Pizza. The last day for Tom Bysheim's, uh Walnut Creek Institution is Sunday the 31st. Uh, it'll be closing after, I want to say it's 45 years in business, and I think Tom's owned it for well over 35 years, or around 35 years. Um, he's decided to, to retire. Uh, he is uh, a proud new papa. And is going to be spending time with his girlfriend and his new son. And he's decided that he can make more money being retired than he can actually operating a business. It's Walnut Creek, California. The the uh, rents out there are ridiculous. Um, and kids who typically would work in a pizza, in a pizza place, you know, late teens, maybe early 20s. Uh, well, in Walnut Creek, California, they're all overprivileged you know, mommy and daddy buy them a BMW convertible for their 16th birthday. They don't really understand what work is. So uh, it's all been hard for Tom to find some some good people to work over there as well. So uh, sadly, Pinkies is closing. If you're hearing this before Sunday, you're in the Bay Area. Would encourage you to head out to Pinkies Pizza. It's on Walnut. It's in Walnut Creek, um, 1379 South California Boulevard, if memory serves. So. Uh, farewell to Mr. Pinky. I'm sure he'll be around, but Pinky's Pizza, a long institution in Walnut Creek. 
uh, and friend of motorcycle racing, is a longtime sponsor of 125 Racing at, uh, at the AFM Club Series, uh, will be closing down. One of the big, well, I don't know if you call it big, but interesting things that came out is that Curtis Roberts is going to be returning to AMA racing for the last two rounds, uh, both at, uh, my understanding was not only for Atlanta, but also for the Caesar series finale at Laguna Seca. And he will be riding for the Celtic team, which uh, has just had Kenny Noyes uh, for the last two rounds at Mid-Ohio and VIR, but Kenny's headed back to Spain as he's got to get back to his series over there. Um, so they're looking for a rider, and they've got Curtis Roberts coming to ride from now i'm of a couple minds of this um first off i know a lot of people are not fans of curtis robertson for a lot of understandable reasons i on the other hand and am a fan of curtis and it has to do with an interview i did with him back in 2000 yeah i believe it was 2000 um just had a really good interview with him back in the when i was writing and not being paid by uh, esportbike.com. Yes, uh, esportbike.com, if some of you visit their forums, and I'm sure they've gone through like nine different owners. But at one time, they owed me well over $9,000, and I got maybe 3000 of it. So, uh, oops. That's why I've adopted, ever since then, adopted new billing rules where more than 45 days and I don't do work because outstanding invoices. I was... Actually, theoretically, I'm still paying for that stuff. Actually, it's all paid off, but that caused me other issues. So, anyways, esportbike.com. Thumbs down. Sorry, those of you watching on Stickham, big thumbs down on that one. Uh, so, anyways, uh, that it was a good conversation I had with Curtis way back in the day and led me to be um, a fan or just at least root for him. And, uh, so hopefully, what it, basically what it boils down to is he, he, you know, he rode for his dad. Nothing really happened for him over in MotoGP. Some of it was due to the bike. Some of it, you know, whatever. Um, but somewhere, Curtis lost his mojo. Basically, um, he was he he ran up front in superbike races. He won us two superbike races, just the one. I mean, he was so close so many times, and then he finally broke through uh, and won the race at VIR. I think he won one after that. Um, but not too long after that, his career just went down the drain and for for no good reason um whether he lost his confidence he there were some issues i i don't know but um i'm hoping that somehow curtis gets it all back together starts racing again consistently for a good team and can have some good finishes and and maybe this is the step in the right direction for him obviously uh the celtic team puts together a pretty good bike uh yeah, Kenny Noyes has had some had some good finishes in Superbike on essentially super stock. Well, it is a super stock bike. Um, finished tenth twice, I believe, once at uh, Mid Ohio, once at VIR. Um, so the bike is capable. Uh, at the end of the day, I think Curtis is a little bit better rider than Kenny. Sorry, Kenny. Um, at least potentially is a better rider. Now, what that means in this, you know, today, I don't know. Um. But we'll see. Um, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on, on what's going on with Curtis over the weekend. Well, I guess I can't keep an eye on what's going on with, over the weekend because I'll be up in Canada. Finally got notification uh, Monday, so two days ago, that I am headed up to Shannonville, actually tomorrow, late morning, um, to announce the series finale for the Canadian Superbike Series. 
Now, I don't know if they're doing it this year. Uh, they did it last year. Uh, and I sent an email to John Hopkins, who handles the PR for the Canadian Superbike Series, and I haven't heard back from him yet uh, whether or not they will be doing this. But if you're interested, check out the Canadian Superbike uh, uh, website, which is cdnsuperbike.com. Oh, hold on, this just in. Uh, okay, John is telling me at this point he does not know. Sorry, he can't be more helpful. Uh, so cdnsuperbike.com. Check there Saturday and Sunday. And um, they might be streaming the the broadcast or, or basically what's coming over uh, the PA system so that you can hear not only myself but uh, Pat Gonzalez as we'll be bringing the action uh, from that race. on. Well, I'll be there Friday on my own, and then Pat comes Saturday to um, for me to work with, for, for us to work together uh, like we did at uh, Mostport along with uh, Kevin Gale, who was with us at Melsport. Kevin's uh, apparently just not enough in the budget for Kevin to join us on this one, and just the way that Shannonville's laid out, two people can deal with it, because those of you who have been to Shannonville or, or know of it, it's pool table flat. It's You're up in the box, and you can pretty much see the whole track, so two people can pretty much take care of business out there. So, but I'm very excited. Uh, really wanted to do this last race uh, of the of the year for the Canadian Series. There's a great uh, championship coming uh, coming down for for Superbike. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Uh, let's see. Let's do. We want to talk about that now. I guess we can talk about that now because we've got to talk about MotoGP a uh, week and a half ago now for the uh, Bernou race, which really changed the champion the complexity of the championship uh and then of course we have Masano coming up this weekend uh we've got uh, the BSB race the um talk about DMG and sorry if you stuck with us this far and I should have said this at the top of the show my apologies we also have an interview uh in the show with uh, Andrew Wheeler who's a well-known photographer covers uh the AMA series for uh, Cycle World and for Road Racer X so we'll be uh We'll be playing that interview here, which I did a little did earlier this morning, uh, in in just a little bit. So let's uh, let's talk about what's going on um, and all the good uh, reporting that David Emmett's been doing over at MotoGPMatters.com. Um, so Monday, uh, he uh, he put out uh, a post here on the blog about Ben Spees possibly looking at. Uh, writing for the Xerox Ducati team. And, um, you know, there's obviously been a lot of interest in Ben from the World Superbike Series, from Francis Bata. Uh, Ducati obviously ha- would have some interest in him, being that North America is the largest Ducati market uh, in the world, or for them. And, uh, you know, they're going to get Nikki for MotoGP. If they could get Ben for World Superbike, that really is a nice... Um, Nice package for them. I've been saying Ben should go to the, uh, well, what was the Dantine team, which is now the Pramac team. Uh, I don't really see that happening. Obviously, uh, Bayless is going to be retiring. There's a lot of questions on whether Fabrizio is going to uh, to be there next year or whether they're going to replace him with uh, uh, Niccolo Canapa. Now, Canapa may end up over at the Pramac team. Who knows? There's a lot of stuff that's really in question at this point. So that was uh, one of the options there. But again, 
there seems to be the sticking matter in Ben's mind of being paid and being paid two million U.S. Now, even at the uh, greatly deflated dollar, uh, U.S. dollar, um, not sure what's going on with uh, with the Xerox team with Fabrizio. Uh, actually, where where it's going to end up. So we know there'll be one seat open. Obviously, there's been other talk that Christopher Mullen is uh, in the mix for that for a couple different reasons. Number one, everyone's heard that uh, it looks to be that he's going to be staying with uh, with the Rizla Suzuki. What uh, hasn't come out, uh, except for in a couple spots, is that they want him to take a pretty huge pay cut. Now, maybe based on some of the past results, you'd say, eh, but based off of what he's been doing lately... He'd have to question whether you'd really be willing to take a pay cut and why you would need to take a pay cut, uh, especially getting a couple podiums. Now, granted, that was kind of crunch time for contract stuff, but what it may come down to is while Chris may want to stay in World Superbikes, excuse me, in MotoGP, uh, he wouldn't want to take a big pay cut. He may be able to keep what he's making now by moving over to Ducati. Now, what that is right now, I can't tell you. I have absolutely zero idea what uh, what type of contract Chris has and, excuse me, you know, it's, it, I guess it's really somewhat irrelevant at this point. I'm sure he's reasonably reasonably compensated for, for his, uh, his work. But who wants pay cut if you can, if you can avoid it? Um, the nice thing for Chris is if he comes over to World Superbike and race, races for Ducati is he's obviously going to be on top-shelf equipment, which is always a big thing. Uh, he could be up there, you know, challenging for wins, challenging for a championship, which is, at the end of the day, I think what every... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Well, what every racer wants to be able to do, right? So we'll see uh, what happens there. But again, it was the whole thing of, you know, Ben's asking for $2 million U.S., and that's just not an amount of money that uh, Xerox Ducati want to want to put out for a rider, and in a sense an unproven rider uh, on uh, – I'm sorry, an, an, an unproven rider on the world stage. So uh, the third – thing that he posted on Monday was was some of the other silly season rumors that I just talked about from Mullen to World Superbike. Spee's possibly riding for the JIR team. We've heard the rumors about Grassini for, for Spee's. And also um, Davizioso bailing on Honda to, uh, to maybe ride uh, for Suzuki uh, or even Kawasaki. So there's... Um, there's a lot of thought, and we've talked about it in the past, uh, maybe even on the last show, uh, about how Rasputin, i.e. Alberto Puig, has been um, doing some interesting things, setting up setting up the garage for Danny, right? Uh, you know, Danny can look at other people's data. No one can look at his. Tires, walls, just whatever, just in a sense sabotaging it for a lot of other people. So there's questions if Davizioso actually wants to put up with that crap for next year, and that's maybe why he's looking at different teams and abandoning Honda, even though that he's sort of been one of Honda's chosen boys for a very long time. Uh, so that's 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 what led to uh, to some of that. Uh, what else we have here? But then it came across today that. You know, American Honda is saying that they would not flip the bill for for Ben to ride with Grassini. 
you know, whether this is posturing in the uh, in the media or not, who knows? Um, but let's see. Uh, trying to scan through some stuff here real quick because it seemed like there was one or two really pertinent things that were in here. Ah, here we go. Here, here's where he talks about this. The problem here is that Suzuki are, are keen to retain Vermeulen service, services and are only willing to do so at less than half his current salary. As much as Vermeulen wants to stay in MotoGP, such as uh, such such a pay cut may be sticking with, uh, with Suzuki, uh, rather an unpal- unpalatable prospect, and the Australian may instead choose to replace Troy Bayliss at Xerox Ducati in the World Superbikes. If Vermeulen does stay in MotoGP, Suzuki isn't his only option, as he has options with Grissini Honda and also Kawasaki. Again, we're talking third, fourth, Kawasaki seats. Uh, Vermeulen vacating a seat at Suzuki opens up one more uh, bizarre possibility. It's not Ben Spees, which the whole world and their second cousin's daughter-in-law's ex-husband have been expecting, but Davizioso. The Italian, who is widely tipped to take Nicky Hayden's spot at Repsol Honda, is said to be in negotiations with Suzuki as well as less serious talks with Kawasaki. Davizioso has been a long, long, who's been with Honda since he started out on a 125 in 2002, may have his doubts about becoming a teammate to Danny Pedrosa. Rumors have it that Alberto Puig and Danny Pedrosa have the Repsol team in such an iron grip that the prospect of spending two years as a gopher for the Spanish champion-elect and submitting uh, and um, subsuming their own ambitions to the goal of the Spanish Honda Championship would be a little too much uh, and too big of a uh, mouthful. So despite his long associated with Honda, it's entirely conceivable that uh, Davizioso is exploring his other options. Uh, here's some talk about JIR with Luca Monotron. That would be damn near career suicide if he decided to do that. Just speaking from uh, from the results since they've kind of come into the series, you know, you'd want to stay with uh, the Scott. You know, uh, with that whole deal, you'd want to go Scott, but they're going to bring Takahashi in, so you know, not going to happen. Dot com. And then here's the whole whole deal here. Uh, oh. And then HRC is uh, having a bit of a teddy here in that they're trying to um, throw some monkey wrenches into the whole Ducati announcing Nikki's deal that there's a possibility that was gonna, that it may be uh, announced this weekend at Misano. There's a lot of speculation that it may happen in Indianapolis. But because Nikki is under contract, um, they uh, – the HRC doesn't want them focusing on, oh, you're going to Ducati. What's that going to mean? They want them focusing on Nikki being with Honda in America for, for some stuff here. So <clears throat> who knows what happens? Um, you know, we'll see how that all decides to sort itself out here over the next weeks and days here. And... Uh, looking for something here. There we go. That's the button I'm looking for. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so that, uh, that uh, like I said, uh, MotoGPMatters.com, David Emmett's uh, fantastic blog if you want to keep on top of what's going on, MotoGP, some World Superbike stuff. And uh, once again, happy birthday to to David. I guess we, uh, we should... Uh, go right in and talk about uh, the MotoGP at Brno and some of the things that went on there. We'll, we'll, hit, we'll, we'll stay on, on the three or four things that truly are important 
uh, race breakdown, I would say um, I, I'm a month behind on the stuff. I'm, I'm starting to catch up a little bit. But uh, Bob Hayes over at MotoGP.com, he and Jules, if you want lap-by-lap, corner-by-corner breakdown and lap time and stuff like that, go check them out. They do a really good job with that. I've just decided, unless you guys want something different, and I'm always open to, to that feedback, rumblestripradio at gmail.com, um, rather than breaking down the race lap by lap, corner by corner, pole, qualifying and all that, um, that we'd really just hit on some of the highlights of the race, some of the, you know, after effects like that. I think, and, and I think you guys have kind of gotten that from the last few shows when I'm talking about the races, but, and I haven't heard anyone saying anything that they didn't like that. So, um, like I said, rumblestripradio at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on that. So, Bruno, obviously, Huge for a couple of reasons. Number one, Casey crashing from the lead. Um, just weird, weird crash. Um, you know, and then he got it started again, and supposedly the perfect pebble got caught in the, the inlet track and shut the bike down, whatever. But all of a sudden this went from, you know, Valentino had a decent lead to Valentino's got a huge lead. Um, so obviously huge implications for the championship. This now is absolutely Valentino's uh, championship to lose. Now, did Casey buckle under the pressure? I don't know. I think it was just, I think it was one of those freak things that just happens in a race sometimes. Um, you know, he went through it the same way he did lap before. And it was funny because they were showing, uh, was it on board? It was an on board. I'm sorry, from the Eurosport feed, obviously, as everyone knows. Oh, and I'm sorry, uh, I did get some questions on this. Where am I getting the feeds? Uh, for MotoGP, for World Superbike, for the BSB, it's racing-underground.com. So racing-whatever you want to say, underground.com. You can go over there, and uh, you got to sign up for the service. Check them out, and um, yeah, that's where I get all my stuff. So One other spot, too, but 90% of what I get, at, 90% of what I get my stuff from is racing-underground.com. Anyway, so that was a, that was a big deal. I mean, just like Laguna, uh, Casey and Valentino were running away, running away with the race, uh, really making it look silly. Kind of looked like hmm, I don't know Matt and Ben in the AMA, except they're both not on the same team. They're you know, but the, the you know essentially maybe the two best riders in the championship. Um, so yeah, that blows the blows the series wide open. Will be interesting to see how Casey responds. That's one and a half disasters now. Obviously, uh, Bruneau would be considered a disaster for the championship. Laguna was a near disaster. Uh, you know, could he have won? He lost out on, you know, it was a 10-point swing, obviously. He's, you know, 20 versus 25 points. You flip-flop it. Obviously, it makes a big difference uh, in the championship from from Laguna if he had not crashed and maybe could have got around Valentino. No, Not, not saying that he would have. But... This is this is big. This is very big for the championship. So, um, you know, does Valentino Rossi now that he has some space, does he relax a little bit? Not in the sense that he's going to take it easy, um, but that he doesn't have to push so hard uh, for race. He doesn't have. It's not as critical for him to to push. Uh, and maybe by being relaxed, he actually will perform even better. On the other hand, how's Casey going to respond? He's been pretty strong-minded most of the time, although we got that whole Laguna blow-up, um, which one questions 
I don't know. It's one of those things. I I really want to be a fan of Casey. I, I think he's a good kid. I like some of his tenacity. But occasionally it's just he acts like a 14-year-old, and that drives me nuts. And he's only 22, right? So, But I'm just thinking of at 22, yes, I had my issues, but I don't think I whined quite that much. And I guess maybe that's what it is. You know, it's hard to have your heroes be, well, not half your age, but getting pretty damn near close. So issues with Casey, yeah, a little bit here and there. So, But, you know, he's 21, 22 years old. Maturity is going to be an issue. Uh, if you live in such a, a small, tight bubble, who knows? Who knows what's going on there? But So we'll see how he responds to that whole deal. Uh, huge, huge props go out to the Premac team. Uh, Tony Elias, TE24, in a second-place spot uh, for that team. You know, they've had uh, obviously had some major issues uh, this year, just starting with neither rider being able to get a handle uh, on the bike, especially the first almost half of the season. Uh, Sylvan started to get a handle on it and has been performing much, much better. Tony has been a couple times. He's, uh, you know, started to get a handle on it, then he goes back. But the last two or three races, especially at the end of the race, he's really um, been able to get on the gas and, and have some good performances. So... Uh, that really showed through here at Brno with that with a very strong second place finish. Now, had Casey not crashed, he he still would have gotten third, so he still would have been on the box, which is huge for that team. So, major props to that whole team. Our friend Liam Schubert over there on that team um, is good to see. And obviously, like I said, they've had the problems getting handled on the bike, um, and then obviously with the whole deal with uh, Louis Dantin leaving, change in ownership, just some some very interesting things happening over there. Uh, this has has really got to feel good for them, and and Liam said a bit as much over on the uh, the AFM or not the AFM the Barf Board. I'm sorry, uh, Bay Area Writers Forum. I know many of you um, do check that that site out and and follow that thread over there. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of funny. He's like, "Yes, this is huge for us, but we haven't won." So you know, and at the end of the day, winning is what you're there for. And um, he, he touches on a little bit of some of the uncertainty going on uh, with the team, with himself. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of good to see. He hasn't uh, been able to update his website as much as I think as he'd want to, but he's busy and trying to keep sane. So um, that was uh, that was huge for them. So I'd say that was uh, storyline number two. And, ob- and then obviously storyline number three is, uh, once again, the epic fail of Michelin. Uh, they just... They're lost. Um, yeah, you know, with the with the exception of what Davizioso on uh, you know I think Bridgestone were eight of the top nine. You know, if you wanted to be on Michelin's, you were running for you know the back of the pack. They were just so so far off the pace. It's really really embarrassing, which is odd considering that the first half of the season they were pretty competitive, maybe save one race. But these last few races, they have just been lost, which is really, 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 really inexcusable. Um, yes, they've had huge changes in the organization uh, over the last 18 to 24 months. But that should have been done uh, at the end of last season. They, you know, refocus their efforts, charge hard, um, you know, and really needed a change in philosophy and, and how they do business with, with the tires. You know, I said before, the 
Michelin, because of their the way they do business in the past, which was flying tires in, you know, Sunday morning, essentially, after going through 9,000 tires on Friday and Saturday, um, were able to build a tire that operated in a very narrow range. But when it was in that range, it was fabulous. Bridgestone, on the other hand, um, never really built facilities in Europe, which, mm, you know, questionable why they wouldn't do that, but a whole different issue entirely. So they had to build tires for a whole weekend uh, that had to operate in a wider range. Now, maybe they were only 95 percent, you know, in, in uh, of what Michelin was at, you know, in that perfect thing. But outside of Michelin's perfect thing, maybe they're only 70 percent of what Bridgestone is, which maintained a consistent deal uh, over uh, a wider range of, of, of temperature. So Bridgestone continued to carry that philosophy through by operating on a wider range of tires and uh, have continued to do so in a in restricted tire area, you know, that that's worked well. Well, Michelin, even though they're now operating under the stricter tire regulation, still maintains that philosophy of only building a tire that operates in a very, very narrow range. And that's, I, I think that's really what's biting them. And and then on top of that, not listening to the riders, thinking, you know, it, it, and arrogance, thinking that they know better. It, it, it bit them at, at Saxon Ring when uh, the riders said, hey, we want soft compounds. And um, at Laguna, you know, and then they said, no, 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 we know better. You run the medium compound reins. And there you go. You saw what happened there. Then at uh, at Laguna, the riders wanted, you know, ABC and they brought DEF. So, uh, and and at Brno, a bit of the same thing. They were just they just didn't have the right tire, and it's uh, it's killing them. In fact, it may cause a de facto um, spec tire or uh, they. Uh, I'm sorry. The uh, the the Dorna may just decide. All right, we're just we're going to spec tire. This is. We want the competition, but the show's so bad because Michelin can't bring the right tire. What do we do? You know, we're we we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. You know, we probably don't want to see a spec tire here either. Uh, you know, this is Dorna saying this. On the other hand, we can't have have a deal where uh, we don't have good competition with the tires because. Um, sorry, I just hit the wrong button here. Um, we you know, we want to have spec tire. We we don't want to have spec tires because we want the competition and and more manufacturers involved because that's good for everyone. On the other hand, um, we may have to go with spec tires because Michelin's are so bad it kills the show. And at the end of the day, it is a bit of a show, right? It, it literally is a bit of a show. We think about it uh, in terms of entertainment, even when we don't, because when it's a good race, we're like, oh, wasn't that great? Uh, so therefore, it's a show. It's entertainment because you want to see people mixing it up. Um, so you kind of understand the uh, the problem that that Dorn is being faced with, and even some of the riders are deciding, "Hey, look, screw this." I mean, Colin Edwards, who's longtime Michelin guy on Michelin's payroll, he's even saying that you know Michelin's screwing up. This is not acceptable, uh, and maybe we need to look at some options going forward. So that's. When you have someone like Colin Edwards saying that, you know, you know, there's some definite issues there. So, those were the the, the big three things coming out of Brno that I saw 
Um, would like uh, your opinions on that. Radio at gmail.com. So uh, MotoGP now heads to Misano for the uh, action this weekend. Uh, once again, running, you know, uh, since Misano's been uh, redone, they're, they run in the opposite direction, or they, they now run, what, counterclockwise, where before they ran clockwise, changed kind of the, the feel of that, that circuit. Interesting circuit. Nikki, Nikki Hayden described it as, as a bit like Laguna Seca, except without the hills, because it's a very tight, scrappy circuit, and that's very true. I'm not sure how good the racing is actually going to be, though, because it's such a tight circuit, not a lot of good overtaking areas. Um, just, I don't know. I, I seem to remember World Superbike not being all that fabulous and MotoGP not being all that fabulous, but, you know, it's right on the coast. It's literally right on the coast, so a uh, nice resort area for everyone to go hang out at and uh, get ready to race. What am I expecting from it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, obviously, the the big deal is to see how Casey responds, what Valentino does now that he's got a big points lead, and if uh, if Danny's going to be back on form, is his hand is I guess was still bothering him at, at, at the Czech Republic, and what's going on with uh, with Michelin? Are they going to bring a tire that's going to going to work? Uh, Nicky returns from his busted up heel. What's uh, what's happening silly season-wise? Is anything else going to be announced or official? I mean, we've got the whole thing with Melandri that, yes, he's leaving uh, leaving Ducati. We've known that for a while, and basically everyone knows that now he's signing with Kawasaki. It's, uh, it was semi-official. I don't know if they've made the full official announcement, but essentially everyone's acknowledged the fact that, yes, he will be riding with Kawasaki. Uh, with John Hopkins, and now the question is, is are there going to be one or two more Kawasaki's on the grid uh, with Bautista? Um, so, uh, uh, Aspar has, has gone to, uh, Spanish telecom, uh, I think it's 1188.com or Spanish telecom 1188, whatever it is, uh, supposedly has them as a sponsor with enough money to run Bautista on, whether it's a satellite bike, whether it's a third factory bike, it's a little unclear and nothing's obviously a done deal at this point, but at least he is bringing some money. There was some talk that Kawasaki wanted to bring extra money so they could keep Ant West there. Uh, they they like him. Uh, he obviously has had some little bit better luck, not consistently, but you know he had a good run at Brno. Uh, obviously qualified well up front. In in uh, if you didn't see that qualify, that was amazing. Last few laps, which literally were, you know, Toby and Julian always describe it as underwater conditions. Those really were underwater conditions. And watching Sylvan and um, and Ant West in those last laps and qualifying, just throw down some laps that were unbelievable, uh, was uh, was quite fun. So, whether or not that he's able to, um, uh, whether Ant West is is going to be able to keep that form up for the rest of the season and and stay in MotoGP. Or whether he kicks gets kicked down to say their World Superbike team could be interesting. Um, I almost wouldn't mind seeing him in World Superbike or World Supersport. I think maybe he fits in his style fits in a little bit better there. His attitude fits in a little better. He's still kind of carefree in World Superbike. Tends to be a little more carefree. I'd hate to see him get saddled on on the Kawasaki World Superbike because that's just been miserable this year. Uh, Regis Laconi has done nothing on the bike. Big shock. He hasn't done anything for a long time on any bike. Um, and uh, Makoto Tamata has just been, you know, he's continued his downwards worlds. 
his downward spiral. Jesus, can't say a word. Downward spiral. Uh, so, you know, you put Ant West on that. Does that do any better? Maybe it's the team. Maybe it's the, I don't know. Literally, Jamie Hacking is the only guy who's been making a, a Kawasaki go fast in any any competition uh, anywhere in, in Superbike trim. So so that's some of the things that uh, we will have to look for at Masano. And uh, did want to talk uh, real quickly on um, on the BSB race this past weekend at Outland Park. Was very excited to see that race. Uh, just because I've always heard so much about the track, obviously it has its signature thing, which is the the, the mountain and sort of the jump on the mountain. Um, was it as spectacular as I expected? No, but it looked like a really cool circuit, although very narrow. I think they said it was that's the circuit itself is only twenty five feet wide, so only three bikes per row per grid. Um, for the first time this year, I can actually say there was a boring. Uh, Superbike race in BSB, and that was race one. It was uh, um, Sykes and uh, Leon Haslam ran away with the race and, and made it a bit boring, really, to be honest with you. Uh, farther back, okay, they were mixing it up a little bit, but race two was really, really uh, a much better race. Uh, shaky, just, uh, I don't know, that they, they in the first laps in that race, uh, actually, all season, really, Shaky just doesn't seem to be able to get a, a good start and, and be up front. He seems to get shuffled from, like, third to sixth to eighth or ninth back and then really has to spend a lot of time charging through the race. But then, especially the last five or six laps of the race, um, really, uh, the bike comes good or he comes good or it's a combination of uh, of it all and uh, and makes a charge. And then I guess there were some things that happened through the, through Sunday, which shortened the race. It should have been 18 laps and ended up being 15 I don't know the whole story. I haven't seen all the write-ups on it. Um, I'm sure something happened in, you know, Supersport or one of the other support races uh, that caused that uh, that Superbike race to be shortened. Uh, but that ended up being good. And and Shaky said, you know, I've, I third place twice, okay, good for the championship. Not happy because he didn't win. He's, he's a guy who expects to win uh, every time out, and that's really what makes a good champion, right? So, um, hey, Scott. I see Scott uh, in there in the in the chat room. So our boy C from Chicago, although God knows where he is, in some cramped room somewhere, um, working for the man. Um, but then, uh, once again, Sykes and, and Haslam. <laughs> oh, he's in Rhode Island. He's he's making he's uh, saying something here in the in the chat room. So. Um, so Sykes and, and Haslam once again had a had a good battle there, um, and then Shaky obviously much better in in race two. That uh, you know it was a really cool track, beautiful track. I mean that's another one of those tracks that looks like it'd be a lot of fun to ride. Now would it be as much fun as Knock Hill? Mm, don't know. Uh, had definitely has some really cool twisty bits to it. Um, you know, and as Jamie Whitham said. It really is broken down into two sections. There's kind of the old section of the track or the original section of the track and then kind of the other section, which is a little more open. Um, but looks cool. Would be fun uh, fun to do that, and especially the uh, going over the mountain on the jump there. Uh, you know, we had a little bit of that uh, when I raced in Glera with, uh, with Grattan. We had the jump at Grattan, but uh, I don't think the... The, the jump at Grattan holds anything to the mountain. Although I, I will say this for the jump at Grattan, you go over that, and as soon as you get the bike to settle, you got to <laughs> – Scott says Grattan jump FTW, absolutely. As soon as you get the bike settled, you literally have to throw it uh, throw it down on your right knee because it's a quick uh, right, left, right, right, 
right, left, right. Sorry, uh, and, and through the S's there. So it's uh, it was fun. It's about the closest we come here uh, to the mountain, but uh, good stuff there. Uh, good race, like I said, race two was was good, thoroughly enjoyable. Jack and Jamie, of course, on uh, on the BSB broadcast. And uh, if any, I, I think I may have a well know someone who knows someone who knows someone to get to Jamie Whittem. But if anybody has contact information for Jamie Whittem, I've I've tried through. Um, uh, I want to say two wheel online or something like that um, through a magazine and through a website, which he has done some writing for. Um, I've, I've tried to make some contact through there and haven't had anything back. So if anyone has any more direct contact information for Jamie Whittem, can you please forward it to rumblestripradio at gmail.com? I really, 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 really would like to get this guy uh, on the show and, and talk about the BSB series, talk about his old days of racing and in world Superbike and world super sport and, you know, get, uh, get, um, a native's perspective on on the series, and um, I, I guess uh, one of the things that triggered uh, triggered that is a really good interview with Neil Hodgson over on um, on Dean's World, whatever that website is. Superbike Planet is that what it is? Yeah, Superbike Planet, Dean's World, as I like to call it, as opposed to John's World, which is RoadRacingWorld dot com. Uh, and he talked about some of the uh finances and, and rider finances in the BSB series, which were I knew they weren't exactly fabulous, but it makes it sound like they're not nearly as good as, as what I even thought they were. So um would like to get a, an idea on what's going on with that. Because obviously a lot of riders in the US are talking about leaving the US and going racing elsewhere. So hey Scott, how's the uh how's the picture there? A little little goofy here. Um it's odd it's an odd angle to see myself at in the in the window. Anyways, um which leads me to the next thing, which is uh, the DMG met with a couple of the track owners. Oh, okay, good stuff, cool. Cheers. It's just water. Um, so Roger Edmondson met with uh, Jill Campbell, with um, uh, the manager of Road America and Infineon, and talked about what's going on uh, with the series, with the schedule, or potential schedule, because they haven't announced it yet. And... Um, I think they even talked to some of the uh, motorcycle industry council people about, you know, whether or not they felt they could get something thrown together that quick uh, for next year. Oops, let's see. That's what I want to do. Okay, so DMG says they're going to announce something within uh, within a couple weeks. You know, what that's actually going to look like, I don't know. Um, and I don't think they really know at this point, but good or bad, the uh, MI, or excuse me, the track owners feel a little more comfortable with what's going on obviously everyone knows what my thoughts are on that is we needed tweaks not outright change um you know you'll have double headers in american superbike which is essentially glorified superstock and daytona superbike which is formula extreme we've got too much superbike <laughs> um sorry comments in the chat room you know, and we need to get the manufacturers on board. Suzuki has come out and said that you know they probably aren't even going to be racing next year in the AMA. Whether or not they follow through on that, I don't know. Honda's sort of following suit. Kawasaki's on the fence, and Yamaha says, "Well, we'll play." Um, okay, chat makes for uh, bad uh, rhetoric. I suppose when there's only you in the chat room, there, Scott, that uh, that could be. Um, yeah, see, and then, and then, as you said, I distracted distracted myself from there. So, 
Uh, from Yamaha's perspective, it's good. Everyone else is leaving. Guess what's going to be out there? Yamaha. So, in a sense, Yamahas are going to be like Suzuki's. No, all the privateers would be on Yamahas, not Suzuki's. That looks better for Yamaha in some ways. On the other hand, um, there's some question as how this would all work out because if Honda, Yamaha, uh, excuse me, Honda, Suzuki, and Kawasaki leave, at least in the rules that I have read up to this point, uh, the manufacturers themselves need to homologate the bikes for the classes. A racer or somebody else can't come in and homologate the bikes for them. The manufacturers have to do it. So if let's say that uh, I want to set up my own team and I want to race Kawasaki's next year. Why? I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. Um, but if Kawasaki did homologate the bike, I couldn't race Kawasaki's. That, I think that, that makes sense to everybody. Um, now I've also heard things that, well, they're going to change that rule so that the DMG is just going to, you know, say, okay, this bike is homologated, that bike's homologated, whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that, uh, how the details work out on that. The other issue is, of course, money. Um, you know, I think we heard from Jill Campbell on the last show about, uh, you know, the money that the manufacturers bring to the table for helping to promote, um, promote the races and really for, for supplying the money for a lot of these guys to eat, to even ride and get paid. Uh, there's a decent write-up in uh, on John's World about uh, Jeff Wood and racing AMA versus ASRA CCS weekend, and then talking about a kid racing uh, USGPRU in that Milwaukee 250 Cup deal. So it's you, you understand a little bit more about the economics of the whole deal, and um, it's going to be very interesting, and, and you know this thing's just going so long and so late. It's it's ridiculous. So, uh, I guess we'll start seeing some things after the first of September of what's happening both with the Motor Motorcycle Industry Council group and and what their plans are going forward. What's going to happen with the DMG? Uh, we need television packages announced. Who knows? I mean, Chet Burks has come out and said, you know. You guys want me to broadcast in HD? Great. Uh, guess what I need? I need a multi-year contract so that I can rent the truck to broadcast in HD. Um, those of you who have Speed Channel in HD and are watching in HD, that is not an HD signal. That's actually your normal 4x3 signal stretched out to 16x9. It's not a true HD feed. So, Because to, to broadcast in HD, first you must film in HD, and they're not doing it. They're just using standard 4.3, um, standard well, 4.3 slash 16.9, um, it's broadcast, you know, they can do a 16 by 9 broadcast, uh, but it's still at the standard resolution, not the high def resolution. Sorry, not to geek out on you for TV stuff here. Um, last other thing here, uh, we'll talk about the whole deal with VIR here in a minute. We'll we'll, we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Well, more than a few minutes because we're going to do the interview with uh, Andrew Wheeler, and that's a, an extended conversation I had with him. Uh, the last thing, though, is, and then this kind of follows on the whole DMG thing, is that Pirelli announced that they hired a new road race technician, and there was a comment in there, and I actually have that uh, pulled up here. And here is the uh, the appropriate or the the pertinent paragraphs. Um, the guy that was hired is uh, Chris Jensen, and you know, with a new here we go with a new direction, American road racing is taking in the immediate future, and with Pirelli already being the spec tire in World Superbike, Moto ST, and Parts Canada Superbike, uh, these are enviable times to be with Pirelli. It's like joining a rock band near the height of its career. And then the next paragraph is Scott Griffin, Pirelli 
Tire North America Vice President, Motorcycle Division. Our exceptional growth in, in market share and our successes in racing have taken us a long way in the last few years. Having someone with Chris's quality of experience is a perfect fit for the Pirelli family, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, but basically, you're talking about, you know, if you look at it, with the new direction that American road racing is taking in the immediate future, i.e. spec tire. Um, and then uh, these are uh, enviable times to be with Pirelli. It's like joining a rock band at the height of its career. What does that tell you? It looks like Pirelli will be a spec tire for all classes next year in AMA racing. I can't wait, literally can't wait to see the lawsuits that fly from Dunlop and Jim Allen on this. Um, could be interesting because, you know, he's, he's got contracts with some of the teams if they decide to stick around. Like, well, I have contracts with these teams. And then DMG can say, well, you had contracts. Uh, now we're doing uh, spec tire, those contracts are null and void. So, uh, yeah, it gets uh, curiouser and curiouser by the moment. Um, so, I would say spec tire. Uh, uh, Scott wants to know if the Eurosport feed is in HD. No, the Eurosport feed is not in HD. They're starting to do a, a 16.9 feed, but it's not yet in HD. Actually, no MotoGP is done in HD. It's still standard feed. It can be in 16.9. Um, but um, they don't have the equipment to do it in HD, and the reason why is they usually contract local um, local crews at each race to uh, to broadcast. Unlike Formula One, where they have their own own trailer and own cameras and, and stuff like that, which they bring race to race to race so to have a consistent thing, so that they actually can do HD. Um, MotoGP just contracts local production teams, uh, TVs. And uh, and all of that, uh, and uh, yeah, that even includes CBS because CBS there is actually only one feed for MotoGP, and everyone takes their feed off of that. CBS included. They can say it's in HD. It's in widescreen. It's not in HD. So just to clear that up. So uh, my buddy Scott is uh, asking that in the chat room. So once again, uh, in the future, well, I think I, well we'll see about continuing to do about uh, sort of the live feed through Stickam. And uh, people can join in in the chat room. And as I said, you know, if you follow us on on Twitter, uh, twitter.com forward slash rumblestrip or pounce.com forward slash rumblestrip, uh, if we decide to do this again, uh, I'll send out a notice so that everyone can get in. Although a lot of people's stuff at work is blocked from flash video and streaming and all that other stuff. But, hey, you know, there we go. So going to uh, head off into this interview with Andrew Wheeler. Uh, he is a well-known photographer, and uh, we'll just roll into that because we'll get all of his backstory and what's going on with him here, and we'll go right now. Well, in continuing to try and bring uh, some different things to the interviews we do here on Rumble Strip Radio, we brought in one of the premier photographers. Uh, you see his work uh, on some online stuff on Road Racer X. You obviously see it in, in uh, Road Racer X, the magazine, uh, Road Racing World, and, and many other publications. Uh, we're very happy to have Andrew Wheeler joining us here on Rumble Strip Radio. Andrew, thank you for joining us. As uh, I guess you're just about ready to head off to Atlanta tomorrow. Yes, I am. So let's uh, let's bring some people up to speed. Uh, they may have seen your work and but may not attach uh, a name to it. Uh, what are some of the publications that you happen to shoot for? Um, well, like I said, primarily it's it's Road Racer X. I, I cover their uh, AMA Superbike. I cover for their AMAs for the AMA Superbike series for Road Racer X. Um, I also maintain a, a, a small column 
and uh, write for Cycle World. Um, I also have I work do work for Motorcycle Racer out of the UK, um, Bike Magazine, Performance Bikes, um, Motorcycle News, and then uh, my work also turns up in the the annual Motocourse book that covers all the racing series around the world um, on an annual basis. Yeah, if you don't, if you're not, uh, if people don't buy Motocourse, I don't know what they're doing because that is um, just some of the most beautiful photography uh, that you can find for well even if you do the motor motor course for cars or um or auto sorry that's auto course for it's, it's auto course for cars yeah, and then yeah. motor course for bikes and yeah, so just it's a big thick book yes I've, in the past i've bought uh two copies of that one one to keep and one to cut up just because the pictures were so great <laughs> <laughs> but um a little bit of the background is uh on you and, and you can bring us up to speed on this as well uh you Really didn't start out as a, as a motorsports photographer at all. So, won't you won't you give us a little of your backstory? Well, I originally started out photographing horses, which I actually fell into um, because we had a horse and she foundered, which is where their feet collapse. It's it's akin to someone ripping off your toenails or your fingernails, and so we needed to have photographs for. Um, a vet in Texas to have a look at and, and see what was wrong with their feet. And so we had x-rays, obviously, but they needed an external view. And so I took photographs and then it kind of went and I started doing portraits. And then the portraits developed into, you know, the odd show in here. But but more or less, I did portraiture of horses. And then uh, that went on for a, a couple of years. And I love to still love taking photographs of horses went uh we went and, and typically the 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 actual horse photography business tends to drop off it's rather seasonal in, in an odd way because people don't like photographs of their horses with big shaggy winter coats on so as the winter sort of arrives the work drops off and then my wife had uh, you know my wife and i we had a little little chat one christmas that i wasn't making much money and she suggested that i go photograph some testing that was happening down at laguna seca and i just went down there with with my old canon d60 and, and a handful of lenses and didn't know anyone just just pretty much shot what tickled me and uh it went from there and so i came home, looked through the pictures, Emily goes, oh, those are slightly different. I've always been a fan of motorcycles. I've always ridden motorcycles, and so this was nothing. This wasn't like I hadn't discovered motorcycles. It was just I'd never taken it from that 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 angle. Went uh, went home, edited the pictures, looked at them. Emily said, oh, those are slightly different. Why don't you send them somewhere? So I sent them, actually, believe it or not, to, to Matthew Miles at Cycle World. And he liked the, the approach, the sort of the fresh sort of view. And... Uh, he suggested that I go shoot some testing at Infinium, which is uh, the old Sears Point, or renamed Sears Point up in Sonoma. Went there and did the same sort of thing, and it just kind of blossomed from there. And uh, it's just sort of grown and with, with some self-promotion and making sure people see things and, and just making sure you, you keep everybody in the loop, it, it developed. And Road Racer X kindly picked me up as their AMA uh, you know, superbike shooter alongside Andrew Northcott, who shoots their GP work, and Simon Cummings does all their main uh, off-road photography. It, uh, it it just really blossomed from there. Yeah, I want to want to um, touch on it in a few minutes. Uh, you mentioned it, 
work has a kind of a different look to it. And I think that's one of your signature things. But um, was it hard? I, I guess I should preface this. Having covered the AMA and, and been in the press room for uh, almost 10 years now, it's a very tight-knit group, I guess I would say, uh, um, and everyone sort of has their little niche uh, and, and is kind of defends it very, very vigorously. Did you find it hard to, to break in uh, covering AMA stuff? Um, not really. I actually, you know, I think when you work with people with horses, there's a, there's a very sort of, it's a similar sort of thing that there's always going to be the new person that comes along. And I, I just took a, and my own approach, which having worked in sales and advertising long before I did this, um, before I moved to the States and, and worked in print, I pretty much took the approach that, you know, I'm here and I'm not going to sort of be a pain to anyone. I'm just going to let people know who I am and, and just have fun with it. And I think... I think when I first got there, the media, the media room was kind of, it was always quiet. And I'm thinking, no, you know, this is, this is a fun sport, you know? And I thought, let's inject some life into this place. And so, you know, I didn't like jump on the desk and make a noise, but I certainly, I, I find it hard to be quiet sometimes. And so, you know, I, I think that by injecting some life into, into the, into the sport, it reflects in your imagery and, um, that's that's the kind of way it's, it's gone, and so I always feel that the, the the media rooms are a little bit more vibrant. More people came out of their shell, and and as such, I think that that it helps the imagery and and, and maybe helps other people sort of promote the sport in their own way at, at the same time. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you. I've been there in times when it's been I I wouldn't call it raucous, but but chatty, and and then other times yeah. when it's just absolutely dead silent. Um. It used to be, uh, and I don't know if it still goes on because I don't get to make but one or two races a year now, uh, and, and you're out uh, shooting, but uh, one of the fun things was before Superbike Race or back in the days of 250s, you know, everyone would pull out a dollar, five dollars, and it'd go into the pool and like, all right, who's got who? Or uh, back in the days of 250, it's like, okay, what's the over-under for the Rich Oliver win? Is it 15, 20 <laughs> seconds? You know, that type of <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I haven't seen any money changing hands, but I think. I think obviously you have to respect the fact that people writing need their silence. But I mean, a lot of people that do do write, especially the, the what I would call the the writers, the correspondents, do tend to sort of headphone themselves in, and so you you pretty much know when the headphones are on, you don't bother people. Sure. Um, but you know, media people, especially photographers, are kind of an. Are, are, are sort of artistic and and sort of they're introvert extrovert. So you're going to have you know, you, you're not going to have a quiet bunch of people, you know, and it's it's just not going to work. And and so, yeah, every now and again, somebody say, you know, we're trying to write, you'll hear that come over or, or whatever. And you understand that people have to be able to, to have some silence to write. But in, in general, I think everybody pretty much respects everybody's space. Yeah. And and, and I, I would say is as competitive as some of the photography stuff is, you guys seem to have uh, a pretty good rapport with each other. Everyone kind of does their own thing, but it's not like I don't see like nice being pulled out and put in people's back everyone's like hey, okay you're doing your thing i'm doing my thing and you know it's all good yeah, i would i would i would i would i would agree with that it's you know and the thing is you there's there's a core of, of photographers that, that cover the same races and and do the same work so you have you know it's it's a very tight-knit group of people of about seven or eight regulars that that 
you know, it, it, you meet every two weeks and everything just picks up where you left off. And then obviously when you go to different races, you know, you, you take the West Coast races, for example, there's a lot of other people that come in who don't travel to, to the other races around the country. But, you know, the West Coast is pretty well represented by people that could do work for websites and so on and so forth. And so you you meet other people that you only see in, in certain locations. So it's rather nice to, you know, you, you to some degree you have to be sociable in this job. And uh, and it is a job. You know, you, you can't get away from that fact. But it's it's a fun one at that too. Yep. Um I know one of the things I've heard you talk about in the past is um, is a one of the things is your philosophy of shooting. There's and there seems to be two philosophies when it comes to digital cameras because memory's so cheap. Um, is people will fire off a, a bunch of pictures and hope that one turns out right uh, or a couple turn out right, and then there's the others who are uh, maybe the philosophy don't take a picture that's not there or take fewer pictures but take better pictures. What, where where do you fall in that? Yeah. Um, I I very rarely would, 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 what I would call mash the shutter. In other words, just hold the button down. Um, take for example, there's a there's a recent series of shots of of where Valentino Rossi passes Stoner for that dirt tracking moment in the corkscrew. You know that that wasn't a mash shutter shot. That was that was simply each frame was actually shot versus holding down the the the, the shutter, and so. I think, and, and I learned this from taking photographs of horses, you can, you can mash the shutter, but you're going to still miss that moment because it all depends at what point the shutter's actuating at, at that peak time. So, you know, I think, you know, you, you, you just, I think really once, the thing is with motorcycles, they're always going to approach follow the same sort of line versus, say, a horse, which can do anything it wants at some point because it has a brain. So, um I'm I'm in the the field of I'm in the sort of the camp that you, know, you pick a moment. Yeah, every now and again, you know, you have it there. You can sort of go and fire off a, a bunch of shots, but then, you know, you you end up with more work to edit than you you would if you'd have been more selective. So, you, you, it can be uh, it can be detrimental to your workflow if you end up with just tons of frames, which you know you're looking for the right shot. And so, I think as you as you develop. And I've never been a, fr a masher in the first place, but you know, as you develop, you kind of know what you're looking for. You can wander around the edges of tracks or or whatever, and just wait for that that moment, and hopefully that moment will come and and get the shot you want. Mm -hmm. But that's that's the, that's the camp I'm in. Yeah, um, and then this lead that leads nicely into, into something you mentioned earlier is that you have you you have a different eye on this stuff where. It seems for the last eight or ten years, uh, we we see a lot of very tightly tightly cropped shots of a rider on bike in a corner. Um, you you basically your eye is different. Yeah, I I you know every now and again I'll I'll take a tightly cropped shot just because you know just because, but it, it, they don't actually, in my view, tell a, a story. And I think still that this sport is so wonderful that. And there's, not, there's a lot of people that I always feel, or I would like to think that if they came across my site, my website, or they came across an image, it would tell people where they are. I mean, that that's 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 the downside of these close crop shots is the fact that it could be any racetrack USA or any racetrack Europe, but the only thing giving it away would be the different color curbing. And so, 
But a lot of these tracks in America, you know, you take VIR, for instance, or you take Mid-Ohio, um, any of these tracks that have what I call such greenery, trees, and, and they're, they're kind of organic in, 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 their, in their structure. You, you, it's nice to sort of try and paint a picture of where these people are on the planet. And so this, this sport um, is quite graceful. It's beautiful in itself. It's, it's just it's, it's someone, um, Wendell Phillips at Lockhart, uh, what well, Lockhart Phillips mentioned, it's kind of like um, dancing on the edge of a knife. And so you, you take that, that thought and put it in, um, in, in relation to, say, trees, track. Sadly, there's the odd orange cone that pops up. But if you, if you take that and think to yourself, you know what, somebody can look at that and go, oh, that looks like VIR or that looks like Mid-Ohio. Um, what is it like there? What is it like to go there? And, and hopefully people just might in passing go, let's go watch a bike race. Mm-hmm. And so there's more to, to, to bike racing than just this knee down around the corner stuff. Yep. Yes, it's obviously part of the racing, but there's so much more pageantry and color in this whole event that I think a lot of people miss. There's, um, I believe it was on your website, which is um, Automoto Photo, is that correct? That's right, automotophoto.com. Yep. Um, and I, and I may be wrong on this one, but uh, there was a picture that I want to say was from uh, from the MotoGP just recently, and where most people are shooting up the corkscrew, you almost were shooting uh, from behind the corkscrew, and it was very small bike, but just a lot of the landscape, and it was just and it was one of those beautiful artistic pictures that was just like it was it was different, but it, it was and I think that's really what drew me to it. It was just not what you would normally see, but it told a great story, like you say. Well, you have to think, you know, that there's, you, you have to think, for example, there was, going back to Daytona at the beginning of the year, um, there was a storm rolling in, I think it was during the, the super sport race, and you you have to think that the riders see this stuff as well, and you, you know for a fact that with the weather, there, there's a shot on my site of, of really the, it, the, the light pole or the pole that has the scoring on at Daytona. The, the red numbers were so bright versus the dark black sky that was rolling in. You have to think the riders are looking at this sky thinking, okay, if I get over 50%, you know, whatever it is, 50% lap distance, they're going to call the race if it starts to rain. So you have to think the riders are noticing the weather. Mm-hmm. And it all factors in, and I, and I think you can create so much more drama when you include the sky, the clouds, even tents. I mean, not porta potties; those things are just ugly. But you know, if you let the, there's a shot at Laguna with Nikki Hayden going over the crest at the corkscrew, and there's tents in the background. Well, some people, you know, like to try and disguise that stuff. Well, to me, I think that's part of the whole show. I mean, people turn up, camp, and there's racing going on. I mean. It's, it's all part of the same show. I mean, and you can't get away from it. Yes, you could hide it, but, it, you know, it doesn't say this was an event in such and such a place. And so I think you, you, you create, you, like I said, go back to what I was saying before, you, you put something in a place and in a time, and hopefully someone goes, I remember that. You know, that was a great day. That was a good weekend. And... Uh, you, you put a, 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 
a human side to it. It's like the same time when riders, when the weather's inclement and they go to clear visors, you can actually see their eyes. And it, 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 it puts a human element into a, into a, a mechanical world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember, you didn't, you didn't have the opportunity to go to Qatar for that night race, did you? No, I didn't. Okay. But looking at some of the pictures from there, that looked like it would be a really challenging but very interesting and very cool thing to shoot. And and, and granted, Qatar is – actually gave Qatar a feature. I think so. I mean, I spoke to a number of people that went. I know they said it was it was – it was damn cold at night. <laughs> so, you know, when the temperature dropped off, it was damn cold. And I think, you know, it was, it was well lit. And if you, if you notice from some of the images that, that came out of there, um, there was some, there was some spectacular imagery, imagery that came out from, from Qatar. And, uh, but obviously photographing at night, I mean, I know it's been sort of bandied around or, or, you know, you've probably read about the thought of running the, Daytona race at the early part of next year under the lights, and I, I, I have my reservations, especially when the fact with like Daytona, you can only shoot really the infield; you can't get anywhere near the the, the main banking. So, um, yeah, I think night, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I still like seeing clouds, sure. you know. Sure. Is there a racetrack that you would like to shoot at that you haven't as of yet? And I'm talking worldwide. Um, well, there's, it's funny you should mention that I, I, I dearly love to, to, to cover a race at Bruno. Um, that looks like a, a spectacular track with, with good, good backdrops and, and just a nice flow. Um, that, that would be one of my other favorites. I, I like shooting at Magello. That was a nice track. Um, I think that's that's probably. I, I dearly loved. I was I was I was credentialed to go to uh, Donington this year, and uh, it just didn't work out. But I, I would have loved to have shot at Donington as well, just because it's home. Well, it's a long time home, but it, it's a home race for me. But uh, yeah, I, I still I still my my still two of my favourites are actually Road America here. That's a wonderful track just to walk and. Uh, and I and I dearly love photographing it at Phillip Island. That's a another fun track to to shoot at. Yeah, Philip Phillip Island is one of those tracks that uh, I, I a need to make a race at. B would dearly love to do a track day at. That just looks like such an incredible uh, track to ride and and trying not to be distracted by the view. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a nice track. It's a good track. And and the the thing is, even as a spectator. Um, you're not fenced in by by catch fencing. There's a the fencing is waist height. There's like a moat, then the track, and then you know you you all everybody has a clear view of 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 the racing, and so it's it's a good track for spectators as well. Sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, equipment that you shoot with. Um, just there, there'll be some people listening who want to know what you what you use to uh, to do your magic. Um, you are, as we said, uh, kind of talking a little bit before we start recording, not a, not a chaser of the latest technology and gadgets. Right. I, I shoot Canon, um, and I use Mark two ends. They, those have been the, they've been a stalwart for me for ever since I've had them. They, they work beautifully. And aside from road America, where they decided that 
they would simultaneously decide to not work. Um, where fortunately somebody was able to lend me a Nikon for the afternoon on the Sunday. Um, they they have worked beautifully in in all weathers. Um, I typically I have big glass, but I typically like to shoot with a three hundred f two point eight. Sometimes put on a teleconverter on there because I, I like I said I like to obviously get scenery into my shots. Um, I have a seventy two hundred which I use, um, which also has a a nice it is good for motion blur that sort of stuff. Um, and I also have a believe it or not a Sigma which gives me a certain amount of of a nice wide angle with a good warm color for you know the the big what I call tiny bike shot. So those are my those are my workhorses. I mean, I have other stuff. I have a fisheye, but the trouble is you don't want to overuse the fisheye because it just gets boring, much the same as you would with if you got lots of cloud shots. So, you you know, you do everything in in moderation and hopefully tell a, tell a good story of where you are and what went on and uh, how it all happened. But that's that's my main main equipment. I, and I do have an old Mark I, uh, 1D as well, which I, I refuse to sell. It's such a wonderful camera, and it was what, what got me well my first camera when I started doing motorsports and so um, I'm ta- attached to that emotionally which one shouldn't be attached to to gear emotionally but I it'll always be with me and it's, it's a good solid backup if I ever need a, a third camera sure um, you also have done you also have put some videos up on your website uh, shooting with a with a Canon G9 oh have yeah you, have you enjoyed shooting with that yeah that's that's my little fun camera um that, that those are actually on my blog, believe it or not, and uh, those those are kind of a, a fun thing with that. The Canon G9 is a wonderful little point and shoot, and uh, I bought it when um, I went to GP at Valencia last year, and I just wanted something that you know when you when you want to be a tourist and and you you know you want to just get away from the the gear, it's you can stuff it in your pocket and. Is to, is totally configurable to be manual, automatic, whatever you want it to do, um, and also that the video is a pretty decent quality video as well. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, every now and again at an AMA race, I might just, if I'm on an interesting piece of track, and just maybe grab a few frames and throw up a quick little um, vignette, just so somebody can hear some noise and watch something moving. But uh, yeah, the Canon G9 is a good little piece of kit. One of the things, and, and I think I can probably guess by, by the equipment that you have and the fact that you're not chasing the latest, greatest stuff, um, for people who are listening, who are looking, uh, looking at cameras, whether it's a point-and-shoot, whether they want to go with a digital SLR or you know something in between there, um, would you say don't get caught up in the whole megapixel craze, especially if 90% of what you're doing is looking at pictures on your computer monitor? Yeah, I think, I think you know, it's... it's you 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 stay within your budget. Um, decide what you want to do, and 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 buy the best you can afford. And you know, if you want motorsports, sometimes there's there's there are those people that that like to keep up with technology who are more than happy to part with something that they they own. And so, you know, you can watch the classifieds on Sports Shooter. Um, people are always winning or, or trying to sell their their old gear so that they can upgrade and. Uh, don't don't chop and change. You know, perfect the photograph. Um, 
you know, these cameras, even the, the you know, you, go, you could go from Mark II to Mark III to whatever the next Mark is going to be, but ultimately they still take a photograph. And so as long as the equipment's good, your lenses should be your, your primary concern because a good lens is is something that will last versus the body. Um, well, but, but a body will last, but obviously, you know, it has to come through the lens first of all. So you, you, you always spend your 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 money on good lenses first and then a body. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, just, just figure out what you want to do, what you plan to do with it and, um, find a mark. I mean, like, like I think I explained to you, you know, you could pick up a good used Mark II for the same price as a 40D and, and you'd have a camera that's, that's pretty bulletproof. It would take some knocks as well. So that's, that's the way I would go. And, and, you know, don't try and upgrade every time it comes out because you're just going to lose money. So right. really, you know, if you, you, you lose money because once the new thing comes out, that's already devalued what you've got. But it doesn't mean to say what you've got is any any less useful than what the new one is either. So, you know, gotcha. concentrate on the picture versus the, the technology. Right. And let someone else beta test all the new stuff. and, Absol- and Absolutely. <laughs> spend the money and then, like you say, 18 months later – it's devalued X and you get a deal on it. So, but it still takes a picture. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, sorry, I should have asked this earlier. Uh, you had a chance to shoot the MotoGP test at, uh, Indy. Yes. Uh, I guess two questions. A, um, from your evaluation, how do you think that will be as, as a track? And then B from, from also from a photographer's perspective, um, will it be a, a good place to shoot at? Um, hmm. I think, I think there's, there's, as as a track it's probably going to be interesting i would say if 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 i was going as a spectator i'd certainly look at maybe watching it from the infield um i'm not quite sure how it will work in 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 f1 years you you know you had friday and saturday where you could sit anywhere and watch stuff on the weekend and then on obviously on sunday you had to if you had assigned seating in the stands you had to you, you know you sat there um, the infield looks like it could be an interesting place to watch everything going on. The, the, the first few corners are pretty slow as well when it's, once they come off the banking and go into the infield. Um, photographically, uh, it's kind of challenging. It's, it's again, it's, it's a similar sort of course to cover as it would be in Fontana, although you wouldn't have the cones that you would in Fontana. <laughs> you know, Fontana is the birthplace of the orange cone after all. Um, you have Daytona, similar again to a. It's, it's a roval, you know. I'm, I'm pretty sure your your listeners are familiar with that term. So, um, it's a high. I would say it's a high class roval. Let's put it that way. Um, really, I mean, and, and the organization there is is good. The the the, the track organization is good. It, they know how to run a show there, and so I think it's it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of things to do and see. But photographically, I think it's again, you, you've got catch fencing, and so you have to shoot through that at some point, and then you go in further into the infield, and then you have some nice open clear shots. So I think it's, it's going to be a, a track similar in in, in uh, photographic parlance to, say, Fontana and, and Daytona, where you're going to have, you know, you're going to find people interaction. And... Uh, but I think there's there's a lot of pomp and circumstance going to be attached to this, and I'm actually excited that the 250s and the 125s are going to be there as well. So that should that should 
that should make for a complete spectacle in itself. You know, the, the, the two strokes and, and, and all the associated smells and noises that two strokes bring with them. So I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a good weekend, both for spectators and for those working the track as well. Yeah. And uh, you'll be there working. Of course. Okay. Well, I guess one I, I, I'm there. Yeah. I, I get in on Wednesday evening and then, uh, it's nice meeting up with the GP folks because, you know, obviously I cover the AMA, but we're, we're such a small group of people really that, you know, it's the same with the, the motorcycle racing community. Every, it's such a small world that, it, you know, people meet people and they, they travel between series and so forth. And so, you know, you, you meet these people and it's just like things have not, you know, you, there's no time that's taking place in between. So it's, it's good. I look for, I'm really looking forward to it. Unfortunately, uh, my my uh, attempts to to, gra- to gain credentials there have been thwarted, and I got the usual uh, your electronic media. So Dorna wants a thousand euros for you to get in. So right, and uh, tried to work with a local newspaper here, but that didn't quite work out. So uh, well. so I'm I'm still debating <laughs> at the last minute whether I'm buying tickets just to you know general admission to go see it, or whether I'm just gonna uh, you know watch it on on well I'd say watch it on TV, but actually download the Eurosport version. So. <laughs> I would go. I mean, if it was me and, and, and you know, I would go, but I, I think the general admission will probably be as it was with Formula One, um, where, where most of what I would call the, the, the fun stuff happens with other people. Um, when we watched F1 high in the stand, it was in September when they, when they had the inaugural F1, um, it was cold. I mean, I've never been so shrammed in all my life. And, uh, my wife and I went, and it, we sat up there thinking, "Is this day going to end?" Because it was just so cold, and it was about the same time as this one. So, sure. hopefully, the weather will be a little warmer. But you know, it's the Midwest, and things happen pretty fast weather-wise. And so, um, I'm just hoping the weather's good, and and I think it will be a nice weekend as well. With with especially, like I said, with the the entire series, you know, the the, the big boys, the two fifties and the one two fives being there. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, in in going, I, I'm more excited to see, as you say, the one twenty fives and the two fifties as I am the the Moto GPs. I mean, right. been to Laguna, seen seen the Moto GPs, and yes, they're cool. They make a lot of noise, and those are the stars. But uh, well, a having been a former one two five racer, uh, having always owned two stroke motorcycles until recently, I'm I'm sort of a you know a fan of those bikes and, and what I would consider more of a pure uh, uh, prototype GP bike. But, you know, that's, that's my snobbery coming out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I, you know, I think, I think, and also you have to remember, obviously there's a, there's a bigger field in the one, two thousand two fifties. And so there's, you know, the, the field tends to separate out and then you have your, you know, your, your little intra intra race battles between obviously different skill sets of, of groups of people. So you, you, there's always a race going on somewhere in the field. So, um, and there's a lot more bikes. And so that, that, you know, makes for a lot more action as well. Sure. Um, uh, one thing we should talk about is, um, of what a typical day of shooting at an event is, is like for you, because, um, as I said, having covered races for a long time, I've seen what uh, all you, all you guys and gals do. And, um, Standing out in the sun all day, I mean, that's, that's got to be brutal. But uh, can you walk us through what, uh, what a day of shooting might be, like either, like, say, on a Saturday? Well, actually through a whole weekend, I guess, would be, would be good. Well, well, Fridays are kind of a, I would say, a, a, an easy day. Um, I like to arrive early. Uh, I like to, to get there early, set up. Make sure everything, you know. Make I, I pretty much get my my laptop and everything set up before I even leave the house on a on a Thursday. So, 
turn up, um, set my desk area up, make sure everything's fine, and then just head out. And I'll not be on a Friday. You know, you, there's there's nothing truly competitive going on. Um, obviously, I, you know, there's qualifying and stuff later in the afternoon, but um, everybody's finding their feet. And, and so you can I, – I try not to replicate every time I go to the same track what I shot the year prior. I mean, yes, it's going to happen, but I do try to sort of think, okay, let's 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 try something else here. And so Fridays are a good day just to sort of get back into the rhythm of, of what you're doing. Saturday's slightly different. Um, typically, you'll have a, a, a couple of races. It's usually the, the Superbike and FX race. Um, some mornings, you know, Again, maybe out on track, depending on the track again, because every track has its own personality. And so, you know, sometimes you can get enough of, of what I call the track stuff and you need some personalities and some people in your shots. And so Saturdays can be one way or the other. Um, and then, you know, obviously you have your race in the afternoon or your races in the afternoon, which I wish they were spaced apart by about 30 minutes at the end of the first one so that, you know, you could... You could get from one race to to the grid or whatever. It, it it always strikes me as odd that you you your races end and then they're forming the grid for the next one while people are on the podium. I just wish there was more of a gap in that, but that's a personal thing. Um, and so you know you you kind of decide, well, I'm going to do this. You know, especially if you're a one man show, you 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 kind of have to sort of go. I'm going to do this on this day, and then I'll either stay, do grid and and paddock on one day, and go out and do the track start, race start on the other. So, um, it's fortunately I've been helped this year by the the, the very kind people at Corona Honda Racing. They've they've allowed me to use a scooter, and so that's made a hell of a difference to what I can cover in a day and a weekend. So. A scooter really is a is a is a marvelous is, is almost as important as a damn good camera. So, um, you know, I'm grateful to those folks there at Corona Honda Racing for all their help in that respect. But I I would say, and then Sundays, you know, again you have I like to try and sort of balance paddock over the Saturday and Sunday because again, you know, things happen and somebody might not be there on Sunday that was there on Saturday. So. Um, and then I obviously have my assignments from from the the Road Racer X people that there's stuff that they need for particular features that are coming up. So I have to make sure that I, you know, integrate that. And I like the assignments because in that respect, it it, it obviously gives you some sort of format to your weekend as well. So I'm I I enjoy having the assignments at the same time. Um, and in between that, I make notes for my little Cycle World blog that I I run. So that there's things that I can. Um, maybe refer back to when I write my little piece for them, um, and that's 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 really it. I mean, in, in the afternoon you get back, you edit, you look through your stuff, you you pull out what you need, uh, or people come to you asking for 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 what they need for their various um, updates wherever they might be. And uh, Sundays is usually a big edit update day because people need stuff before they depart and leave so you have to get that to them and uh that's it then monday you fly home yeah how long do you usually spend uh, editing a after the day's events are done it can it can vary um fridays are i pretty much like to edit back at it in my hotel or wherever i'm staying um i find that the, the silence 
helpful, just being quiet. Um, but usually a couple of hours. Yeah. A couple of hours. That's, you know, it's, it's never, it's never identical. No two days are the same, which is kind of the nice thing about this job that nothing is ever the same. Yeah. There, you know, there are certain parts of the day that are repetitive, but you know, by nature of what we do and the, and the subject that we're covering, nothing is, is ever identical from day to day. So that, that, has an effect on how you edit at the end of the day at the same time. Yep. Um, but but come come Monday, you're uh, are you pretty spent by by Monday or Sunday night Monday? Just you 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 need a day or two to recover after. No no not not really. See the thing is, I think with with what I've you 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 get into a habit. I from a from a what I would call a weather standpoint. Yes, it gets hot. I I don't wear. I think your clothing is important. A lot of people wouldn't necessarily grasp that. I think what you wear is terribly important. Keeping yourself hydrated is terribly important. Um, I'm one of these people. Maybe it comes from when I when I used to photograph car racing, but I like to wear long trousers and long shirt. Um, I don't want to have to worry about getting sunburned. Yes, I wear sunblock, but you know you do get sunburned. I wear a big brimmed hat. Um, so I keep myself pretty covered up because the last thing I want is to be uncomfortable. So, you know, people think I look hot, but I'm not hot. And, and so good pair of shoes, good clothing, you know, hydration. Um, one of the tricks is to never really sit down during the day because once you sit down, sometimes it could be all over, um, <laughs> yes. you know, because your body yes. starts going, oh, we're sat down there. <laughs> yes. So I try not to sit down too much during the day. Um and like I said, you know, it's it's I I leave a race weekend feeling that I've done a good job or hopefully I've done a good job. And the flight home is where I can just shut down and, and then it's just a question of off you know, uploading or, or getting the other stuff that I need to get out when I get home on, on Monday or the Tuesday morning. So I'm I'm obviously tired, but it's it's one of those good tireds, you know, it's like Sunday night you get back to your hotel, you have a shower. I, I tend to stay in places where I cook my own food in the evening. So, um, you know, you get back, you have that shower, and suddenly it's like, <sighs> pack my stuff away and I'm done. And it's it's a good feeling. Yep. Um, yeah, you mentioned all the clothes you wear. That's one of the things I've noticed at Mid-Ohio the last couple of years is I see you uh, all geared up, and I'm just like, oh, that's got to be brutal. But hey, if it if it works, then then it works. And, and I definitely understand about just keeping the keeping the sun off of you all day. Uh, beating on your skin it's uh, I've, I've been in both things and i think sometimes that takes more out of you just it could be 50 degrees but you stand in the sun all day and that that would take it out of you so well i think a lot of people you know they 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 say aren't you hot and i go well actually no because what i wear actually wicks sweat away so mm. you, you keep a very thin layer of, of what i call moisture that that keeps your your core actually cool and comfortable so you know, versus if you keep your skin uncovered and you sweat, then all that moisture is going away, and so you're going to have to replace it. Yep. And and so I that's that's what I have found that works. And yeah, when you know once or twice you're going to get a bit warm, but you know at the end of the day, I'm I'm still as fresh as a daisy in some respects. So that's good. Um, you've uh, you've been doing this for a while, and and this is what you do for a living. Um, but you are uh, an independent contractor essentially. So you right. pay, you pay all your own expenses and uh, right. just the, the way you bill is how you recover all that. Would that be correct? 
Well, I, and then with a number of magazines, I'm on retainers, and so that's that's how that works in that respect. But yes, um, it works. I mean, I've I, I do quite well, so I'm I'm happy with that. Fortunate to uh, not only to to do what you love for for a living and 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 it pays and so you were, yeah really couldn't have too many complaints about that could you no and I and like I say I have to be very thankful to my wife Emily who who you know has supported me through this this entire um, you know the, the 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 learning curve and the the building phase and she has been. Uh, she rocks my world, and I mean, obviously, it's her fault. I'm in this into this in the first place, but in a good way, and so I'm I'm terribly grateful for that. Sure. Um, you mentioned you've shot car stuff. Um, is that that's a different challenge, obviously, than shooting motorcycles? Yeah, um, I did some work with LAT. Um, I did some champ car stuff, um, but I. I there's a different dynamic with cars, and I think the dynamic not only is the car itself, but the you know racers are racers. Um, but I think that the the dynamic that I enjoy about the bike racing crowd is they're slightly more friendly. Um, there's a and and I think also what I really love shooting about photographing motorcycle racing is you actually see the person. You know, you actually see the form, the 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 human form, mm-hmm. and so. There's there, there's never two movements that are the same. With a car, it's very linear, two-dimensional. You know, you, you do see the driver inside, but you, you don't see him moving. And it's, uh, you know, if, if you look at the series of shots, take again, for example, the, the, the Rossi through the corkscrew, there's there's a shot mid mid through the series where... You can actually see Rossi is starting to go over the bars and he catches it. And so um, there's an interest. Also, for example, if you go to the road, current Road Racer X, uh, Road Racer Head website, there's a slideshow of, of Spees mm-hmm. um, catching his high side at VIR last or the weekend before last. And uh, you, you don't. You don't see that in a car. You, you know, the, the the car is the object. The beauty of motorcycle racing is you have you have the machinery. At the same time, there you can see the person, and so that's that's really why I, I shoot bikes. I just I just love the whole thing. I mean, there's there's a different dynamic. There's a different mentality. Yes, racing is racing, and people want to win. But there's a there's a there's a there's a fine line in in motorcycle racing. You know, with a car, you can run off. And you just get back on, or you just stop. Whereas a bike, you come off, you come off, right. and and so not that they think about that, but you know, there's there's obviously that there that exists in the background because the machine only has two wheels, and so um, I think that adds another interesting dynamic to to everything. The uh, that slideshow on on for the road racer head with the with speeds that was that was quite dramatic and uh, and and very well done. So. Thank you. Well, and also a, a good friend of mine, Tim White, actually has a pretty nice uh, cover shot on Road Racing World, which he was stood a little bit. It was funny. The story on that was he was stood a little ways back up the hill, shooting more down onto the track. And uh, when when Spees's bike decides to high side, there's this awful. Obviously, the the thing goes like berserk engine wise, and it and it over revs and. Uh, for a brief moment, I'm stood behind the the barrier, shooting 
pretty much at track level, and Tim was shooting above my head, obviously, with about 100 feet, feet back from me. And for a moment, I'm thinking, oh, God, that bike is coming right at me. <laughs> and, and, the, and the corner workers are telling me to duck and get down. And, and, I, and I did, and it was like, for a moment, I thought, oh, God, I'm going to be a victim now. And, uh, you know, every now and again, you, you, you do have to realize that this stuff is dangerous. I mean, even where, where we are, you know, you're, you're invariably on apexes and, and where things go straight on. And, uh, you know, it, it, you have to have your wits about you doing this job. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's, uh, it's not just a question of, of, of photographing. You have to be aware of your surroundings at all times. And so, but that was that was the interesting thing at uh, at VIR was thinking, oh god, my time is up right now. But I got a good picture, <laughs> you know. And all I could hear was like only going, well, why didn't you duck faster, you know? But uh, no, that was that was that was an interesting moment. Yeah, I can I can uh, I can bet, and I'm sure maybe not the only one you've ever had like that. I, I I've been quite fortunate that the. the one of the first moments I think I ever had was when I was shooting testing down at Laguna Seca pretty much way, way early on. And uh, there was another gentleman down there. It was testing. And uh, Josh Hayes was aboard the ZX-10R attack Kawasaki superbike when he, the, when he was riding. And uh, he lost the, the, the front brake. There was no front brake, apparently, as I found out from him later. And uh, he low-sided into turn five, and the bike just tumbled and tumbled. And there was another photographer who was re- pretty much in line for that bike. And uh, I was shouting at that guy to get down, duck, duck, duck. The bike hit the hay bales and just didn't loop the hay bales. It, it bounced back down. But there was a moment where I'm thinking, you know, that bike is going to squash you. You know, you don't want a 400-pound bike squashing you. It, it, no. It doesn't work too well. So, but uh, I've I've been quite fortunate in that respect. But this one at VIR was one of those moments where you you, you realize that well, that was close. Yeah. You know, your hands are shaking a little yeah. bit, and that that was close. You know, I was watching it coming at me and thinking, you know, I got to really get down right now. So, but uh, no, it's it's again, like I said, you it, it's you have to be aware of everything that's going on. Sure. Um, you mentioned uh, in, in shooting uh, some of the car stuff that the paddock is different, the people are, are, are a little different. Um, uh, obviously, with a lot of the things going on with uh, with the AMA, there's talk of you know, wanting to bring more money, more, more exposure uh, into the paddock and, and a higher profile. Um, having seen the other side of that, is that something you think that uh, the motorcycle crowd should be, you know, be careful what you wish for? I don't know. I, I, I you know, this is obviously a personal view, but I think... I I I think trying to sell um this sport along the lines of of say NASCAR or or something like that just isn't going to work because you know I think that the bike the people that follow motorcycle racing are an entirely different bunch of people you know everybody can relate to a car driver because pretty much everybody drives a car um, not everybody can relate to to a, a motorcycle racer because not everybody rides a motorcycle. It's not like in Europe, where you know a motorcycle is a viable form of transportation. Yes, it is here, but it's still a secondary level 
form of transportation. That's why motorcycle racing is. I mean, if you've ever been to a a, a GP in Spain, it's it's manic, and and everybody because everybody rides a, a mobilet or they ride a moped or they ride a a, a, a two fifty or one two five. So everybody rides a bike. So there's a there's a relationship there that they understand motorcycling from a from a a grassroots level. Here, not everybody rides a bike, and so trying to maybe sell. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. Let's put it that way. I don't think that it's a, there's a bad thing to sell, try and sell motorcycle racing to people that um, may not experience it. But I, in my view, there might be other ways. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not really into the marketing of this stuff but because it, it's not what I do. Um, I do try to sell motorcycle racing based on what I take pictures of because I like to think, well, you could come along and watch something that's really quite a lot of fun. The the riders are pretty affable. They're, you only have to watch them walking through the paddock. They stop and they speak to people. Um, and, I, you know, I, I've covered the Daytona prototypes and all that sort of stuff. The the, the other um, series, I think, that, that Roger Edmondson had, had created. And, uh, you know, the, the drivers in that are a pretty friendly bunch. But it's a, it's a different dynamic with bike racers as it is with cars. And... The crowds are huge. I mean, the, the crowds are not necessarily as huge as they are. At, uh, you know, you, you'll have a large crowd at the motorcycle racing, but you won't necessarily have a terribly huge crowd at, say, the Daytona prototype. So, you know, you have to look at the, 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 the support of the motorcycle racing community is huge mm -hmm. versus, say, a car race. You know, they, they, the crowds are bigger at bike races than they are at car races, from my experience. And so... I, I don't think there's anything wrong with what was happening right now. I think it just needed some some tidying up from a from a, what I would call a structural. You know, it was how things run on a day to day basis. Sure, there was it wasn't broken. The bikes are still going to race. You know, it's still bike racing, and so there's nothing. There was nothing wrong with the bike racing. It was just how it was organized. I think that that was possibly what was needed to be tightened up but you know i try not to cloud my brain too much with this stuff because i just take pictures and so you know um it does worry me next year as to what's going to happen personally but i hope that these people are are able to sort something out because it would be a shame because i think that the the ama superbike series is is followed quite believe it or not quite closely in europe and i think from what i've heard there is more racing on TV from this series over there than there is on TV here. And so, <laughs> which is kind of ironic, but you know, people, people do follow the, the AMA Superbike series. And I think people are still fascinated with things that are American, believe it or not. And so, um, it would be a shame to kill something that, that is, you know, it is good. I mean, it is gritty racing here. You know, you, you ask Neil Hodgson or someone like that, that it's, it's different, and um, it, it would be a shame for that to go. I mean, and and, and that would – it would just be – you know, like I said, it would be a shame for it to go. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I've equated kind of what's going on to uh – I've got a I've got a nice Audi uh, A6 and and I need to take it in the shop because it needs a, a tune up and an oil change and it needs the uh, the paint you know polished up and, and a little detail job and, and I did that and and what I'm getting back it feels like at times is a is a Chevy Aveo. <laughs> right and I, I you know what there's just this other thought that you know you, you think people keep saying it's the Matt and Ben show but you only have to look at 
they why why shouldn't why should they be penalized for running a tight ship and doing well? You know, it's no different than F1 when Ferrari were running the show, or McLaren were running the show, or Honda were running the show. Mm-hmm. These things cycle out. If you watch how Jamie Hacking has done this year, or even Neil Hodgson, it's got closer. Hacking has got closer. And so the cycling out of these things, I mean, whatever happens with Ben Spees next year, um, nothing ever stays the same in racing. And, and, and so... Things are changing even now. People, as they get older, I think, get slower, you know? And so um, it's going to change, but but just to try and sort of level the field, do people really want to see that, or do people want to watch people being on the, the, the best machinery trying to do the best job that they can? And that's that's what people, I think, have to ask themselves. I mean, I like I said, I, I still take photographs, but uh, I, I hope it doesn't doesn't go away and and we lose what is really quite a cool racing series. Yeah, I didn't I didn't seem to hear all this uh, I there was complaining but not to this level when you know in the days of of Dewan and and Rossi on Hondas when they were, you know, they could they could essentially pick how much they wanted to win a race by. Right. And and it's and it, it, I I would imagine you could probably put Matt Maladin on a 600 and he'd still spank everyone. Mhm. You know, there's just some people. I mean, look what happened with Schumacher in, in F1. I mean, seven years, wasn't it? He won seven world championships. Yep. Um, you know, it's going to happen. It, 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 but it ends. I mean, Ferrari lost some dominance over the last couple of years. You know, and now we have, you know, not that F1 is always necessarily the most exciting racing sometimes, but it is if you're into that, and I am. Um, it. You know, you just have to like accept the fact there's going to be people that are fast, some people that are not quite as fast, and people that aren't fast. And so, you know, trying to have this sort of sort of formulaic racing doesn't always work, I don't think. And, and as I've said to many people, yes, you'd like to see great battles at the front between multiple riders for the lead, uh, you know, for for a race win. But look at other groups of riders going on further back in the field and you'll right. find out that the racing is, is is great there and if you don't want to see what's going on up front watch the battle and, and and it's been this way in the ama all year in, in moto gp the battle between third and seventh is usually spectacular right and to me that's the job of the the maybe the tv producer to focus on on what's going on elsewhere in a race because yeah you know you're going to have people that storm off into the distance and yes, you need to check in with them every now and again, but there's also other races going on within that race that, that need to be highlighted and focused on. And so, you know, that's that's what you, what I try to do photographically as well. You know, sometimes after the first few laps, you're just taking photographs of what could be qualifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you try to make sure that you get some sort of balance with your photography if you're shooting a race of getting more than one bike in a shot. Which is hard sometimes when Matt and Ben disappear in the distance because you know you then got to focus on what's going on in in, in mid pack at the same time. So, sure. but you know, like I said, I just hope that everybody does sort things out and we have some. We continue to have like good racing here in the U.S. because I I truly love it. Yeah. Um, not to put you on a spot, but do you have a you sort of hinted a little bit. Do you have a overall position on? Um, what's going on between, say, the DMG and and some of the manufacturers? Um, I just I just really hope that they realize that that, that 
what they really have in their hands. I mean, there's it's quite a little, I think, a, 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 a prize in terms of what, what, is is good racing so i just hope they don't ruin it that's yeah you know like i said it's it's you know obviously it's my bread and butter too so (laughs) and it's a lot of other people's bread and butter you know the the from everybody from the people that write about it the people that document it tv the crews the mechanics the the ancillary stuff the people that sell hot dogs or people that sell food at these events you know everybody is plays a part in this whole pageantry that turns up at a racetrack for a four day weekend, you know? And so it's, I just hope that people realize that it's, you know, you, you can't have riders wearing like have little Debbie sort of signs on their leathers and that sort of stuff. And, and that, that it's, it's really a, what they've got in their hands is this, this, this really golden, moment and and so i just hope that that people realize that not to squander it and and turn people away because you know people can watch world superbike they can watch motor gp um we're we're less lucky with watching british superbike and that sort of stuff here but you know the reverse in europe is that people do watch the ma superbike well you can watch british superbike you just got to download it off the uh, the interwebs and and actually that's been a fabulous series to watch this year so oh yeah i mean and it is but it's it's a similar sort of gritty racing uh, to, to I mean, and they had their problems too until Jonathan Palmer picked it up, and and I think it was Jonathan Palmer yes, that yep. that reorganised British Superbike, and look what he's done with that. Yeah, there was certain there's certainly enough what I would call um, plans out there that that or things that have gone awry that have been wrote, you know roped in and, and reorganised that have done well. Look how popular World Superbike is now, and so. Um, that's, I just hope that people think, oh, okay, let, why don't we just copy that? You exactly. know, so, exactly. but like I said, I, I take photographs and I try not to get too, too caught up in the, yeah. in the politics of it all, because that's just not just what I do. Yeah. So I, I'd agree with you. The, the formula, successful formulas are out there. Um, don't worry about reinventing a wheel that doesn't need to be reinvented. Just work with those people in a sense, copy it and, and we know the formula works, so right. why, why, why fight it, I guess, is the, right. the best way to say it. So, um, uh, I know we've taken up quite a bit of your time here, Andrew. Um, I, w- once again, if people want to uh, check out your work, where can they find you? It is at um, pretty much www.automotophoto.com, and that's A-U-T-O-M-O-T-O-P-H-O-T-O.com. And in the, in the glossy rags, you said the Road Racer X and um, and Cycle World. Cycle World, yeah, and a motorcycle racer out of the UK, performance bikes, bike magazine, uh, bike magazine. I tend to do more features and that sort of stuff, uh, along with a, a, a wonderful writer by the name of Mark Gardner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've started doing a little bit of work with a British writer who's over here, and his name is Jamie Robinson, and. Uh, he has some wonderful stuff uh, that he's starting to write about, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I have a I have a good life, and I'm I'm grateful to my wife for her help as well, and, and I'm also grateful to all the people that I I cover um, every weekend. Without them, I wouldn't I wouldn't love what I do. Yeah, well, we we uh, I, let's say I've I've enjoyed your work for a, for a while now, and 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 always look forward to seeing it, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here on Rebel Strip Radio. No worries. I'm pleased to have been here, and thank you for asking me. Thank you, Andrew.
So once again, thank you very much to Andrew Wheeler. And I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, like I said, a little, little something different. You know, we did the interview with Melissa Paris, not the traditional, uh, I hate to say not the traditional racer. She's obviously a very good racer, uh, very good at what she does. Um, and, you know, I've talked about not doing a lot of the club stuff. Uh, but I'd like to bl- bring some of the other flavor of what goes on in the paddock uh, and, and the coverage that you see uh, either on TV, uh, in print, whatever. And, and Andrew's work is, is absolutely tremendous. And as he said... <laughs> Uh, you can find him at uh, automotophoto.com. And, and yes, Scott, um, Melissa Paris is is very hot. And uh, although I shouldn't be talking about someone else's someone else's wife like that. Uh, anyways, so uh, AMA is headed to Hotlanta this weekend for the penultimate uh, round of the series, or you know, last two, you know, two of the last three races in the Superbike series. Uh, obviously, a lot of controversy going on with Atlanta with the track itself. They have repaved uh, the last corner uh, to avoid uh, the wall that uh, nearly took Miguel Duhamel's life, essentially. I mean, he got really, really screwed up in that testing deal. And uh, mixed reviews on that, uh, plus trying to continue to mess around with the chicane, and I think that's turn four, three or four. Uh, And that was uh, not well received in the test. Uh, Supposedly they've gone through and... um, done some grinding to actually provide some traction because before they said it was like literally like riding on ice there was no traction no fuel no nothing so a lot of stuff going on there the the issue is with road atlanta that if they uh could do one thing um you could keep the the layout of, of kind of how that last corner is coming plunging downhill with the with the right hand turn which has provided some great finishes over the years but the problem is is they have two paddocks they have an upper paddock and a lower paddock, and each is on different sides of the track. And I'm not sure, they might use the upper paddock for some of the sports car stuff, I, I think, is what they use it for ALMS, but I'm not sure. Um, but for the most, and that was like, in the old days, that was the old pro paddock area. But they moved it into the infield area, and that's now the pro paddock in there. And the way to get on there is fine. But the problem is, in the in the upper paddock area, there's um, there's literally a concrete wall not that far off the racing surface, and um, and then above that is is where the paddock is, and this upper paddock deal. So what they need to do is essentially blow up the upper paddock area, maybe even move the uh, timing and scoring tower, which is where uh, the, you know all the media stuff is in there too, and move that into the in- interior side, or just you know move it in general. Uh, and if they can do that to provide enough runoff room, uh, obviously a bigger sand trap, obviously no wall. I mean, and literally like fifteen feet, uh, fifteen twenty feet would make a huge difference there. Then we could go back and run. Um, you know, the proper track there. And as far as fixing the chicane deal, eh, that's just, you know, they need to continue to move walls there if they can. I don't know if it's on the property line. And of course, you get all the echo terrorists involved anytime you want to move dirt anywhere around anymore. You know, go see Infineon and talk to them about all the fun they had and trying to get uh, ecological impact deals and, and just trying to, you know, bring a bull- bulldozer on the thing to, to move, you know, a handful of dirt. Seriously. Uh, Laguna Seca had the same issues uh, with with creating all the extra runoff room at the top of the corkscrew because they had to cut down trees. And you know, of course, the you know, in eco terrorists out in California, oh, you're cutting down a tree! Ooh, the world's gonna end. Global warming. It's 100 degrees warmer now that you cut down one tree. Um, you know, okay, we'll go pack, we'll go we'll cut down five trees. We'll go plant 20 more. Okay, does that make you happy? No, these are mature trees. I'm sorry, I don't need to go off on that rant. Um, but anyways. 
so the anyways, that's a, that's the deal with Atlanta. We'll see how that ends up turning out. Um, how that changes racing. You know, the great thing about uh, Atlanta in the past was that plunge down the hill. You get some great inside outside passes. People really going for it in the last corner. Some incredible. Um, incredible finishes there. I mean, I think everyone, it's still on everyone's highlight reel where Ben, uh, Ben Bostrom comes down there, uh, runs out onto the, onto the grass and into the dirt, crosses the finish line, you know, hanging off the bike, bike flapping everywhere. And, uh, you know, ends up crashing in, in all the, in, in all the great George Clay there. And I think he still finished like second or third. Um, and, you know, Miguel Duhamel's pulled some great passes through there over the years. Matt Maladin just, it, it's a great corner. And if you could get rid of uh, of the wall and the runoff issues there, uh, you you could keep it. Now, like I said, what does this mean for the finisher races? You charge it downhill; it's a little narrow through there, and it's also the same way that you're going to get off, uh, you know, potential runoff to the upper paddock. Although no one, you know, uh, never mind. No one goes up there, but whatever. It's it's runoff room, I guess. What does that change like for the drive to to the finish, and what's that going to mean for the finish of the races? Don't know. Really, don't know. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. So what we need to talk about is what this leads into kind of the last race in the sense of out of when we, when, when business closed or when the, when the checkered flag dropped on race two on Sunday at VIR, Matt Maladin had closed the points lead even further after sweep what we thought was sweeping both VIR rounds. But at the end of the day, if Ben Spees were to get uh, one pole position or get pole position either uh, at Atlanta or at, at Laguna Seca and just finish second in those three races, he would win a championship by one race. You know, something would have to happen for Matt to win the championship. So, but it was tight. It, it made it interesting. And there obviously was a lot of pressure on Ben. Well, what happened is that after the race, um, they tore down Matt's bike. Now, whether there's a protest filed, uh, I never saw a protest filed. I think they just decided to technically check Matt's bike a little more than usual. Uh, they pulled the crank. They said the crank was uh, illegal; that it was not the same as the proto- or the, as the um, the crank on hand that they had. That said, this is a Suzuki crank. This is what a Suzuki crank like, crank looks like. So you compare the two, and it's like hmm, one doesn't look like the other. The thing is, is there were three Suzuki bikes on the podium, and Matt's is the only one they tore down like that. So were the other two the, the same way? No one knows because they didn't tear them down. They only to- tore down Matt's bike. Suzuki sent out two more cranks, and then they said, well, these other cranks look like the ones we already had, which doesn't look like Matt's bike. Uh, so we're going to uphold this. Well, Suzuki filed an appeal, and there was talk that it was going to be, this appeal was going to be heard before VIR, because obviously, or excuse me, before Atlanta, because there are obviously some huge championship implications here. I mean, literally, Ben, I think um, Ben has, oh, I did all the math on this like last week. And and my numbers aren't going to be right here, and, and I don't have them written down somewhere handy. But it's like there's a hundred and hundred. All right, sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can do the calculation here real quick. Um, so thirty six times three, because that would be, oops, thirty six times three. That is the. So that's hundred and eight points. That is if you were to win three races. Um, add uh, two points for pole because uh, you only you know two races and you only, you don't get pole for double headers you only get one point for pole uh, and then we'll add uh, three points yeah so 113 points for most laps led so there's 113 points left on the table if you were to lead the most laps get pole and win the races 
Um, and I think Ben leads the championship by like 109 points or something like that or something. I think, yeah, I think it's 109 points he leads the championship by. So he literally has to finish like 10th. Uh, and, uh, and he's got the championship wrapped up if this appeal is not overturned. Um, I heard one conspiracy say, theory say, um, you know, was it Ben that uh, caused this to happen? You know, did his team or did someone um, say, hey, you know, go check out Matt's crank? Which just sounds, <laughs> that just sounds wrong. Um, and I and I said no. I, I pretty much dismissed that immediately because even though that's, you know, two separate deals in Yoshimura, it's still it's a Suzuki deal. You don't want one Suzuki turned down another factory Suzuki team's deal just a bad it creates animosity bad reputation yada 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 so i don't think it came from there um you know like i said they just think they just decided to tear matt down more than they have in the past um and talking to a buddy of mine who's an engineer at gm he said that it's possible that it is a factory stock crank or whatever the allowable mods are it's just that it came from a different source uh it's not unusual uh in a you know for say well, he works at General Motors, so he just gave me an example of General Motors. They would source crankshafts from two or three different foundries or two or three different country uh, companies. Um, they might all go in the same motor. You know, it's it's a crank for uh, the 3.6 V6, 3.6 liter V6, okay? But they might get it from supplier A, B, and C uh, just because, just because. You know, if one goes on strike, you still can get it from two other places. Um so he's thinking, well, maybe this, he, he, he theorized, well, maybe this is what happened in Suzuki. They've got two different suppliers, and, you know, it can be exactly the same spec, but they're going to physically look a little different because they come out of two different boundaries. Now, my thought was, well, if you knew that it, that was a possibility, wouldn't you try to get a crank from, you know, supplier A and supplier B? I don't know. We don't know what's going on. And, it, excuse me, came across that, uh, you know, we may not know about this till well after Atlanta is done. So it's it's crazy. You know, that said, VIR race a couple weeks ago was, um, <laughs> uh, the VIR races were, they were okay. Obviously, the big thing was, uh, was what race, uh, race one on Saturday. Ben had a spectacular save, uh, in the opening laps. And you can go over to roadracerx.com, check out Road Racer Head in there. And, and, and Andrew talked about that in an interview, uh, about the slideshow where you can see all the different, um, different pictures in that in that series so um yeah other than that not really much to say about vir actually i think i only watched race two of that i don't I, i've got everything but uh i haven't i have yet to to watch it so uh, ama just especially with what's happened here it's sort of hard to get excited about what's happened in the last couple of races mm. But a lot of people still are, and some championships to be had. Uh, Jake Zemke has the chance to win his very first. That's hard to think. Jake Zemke could win his very first championship in Formula Extreme this year. Um, almost happened before, and then uh, when the last race was at, at uh, Atlanta, and then Miguel pipped him there in the last race for the championship. But this could be the first championship from Jake Zemke. So, and as we said uh, last show, he's he's really had a, a huge rebirth, and it's good to see for Jake that you know he didn't forget how to ride. He was still very good. It's just it's equipment. And and kind of goes back to what I'm talking about with Ben. Forget the money. Ride the good equipment. If you ride the good equipment, if you can get good equipment and uh, produce the results, you'll get the money. Don't worry about the money. You've you've made a good chunk amount of the money. You know, it's um, it's someone said. If you worry about the money, you're not going to get the money. If you don't worry about the money, the money will come. 
Um, I'm not saying you, you can't ignore the money, uh, and you certainly want to be paid what your worth is. It's just that if that's your focus, it's going to put a lot of people off. And um, I speak from personal experience on this. Trust me, I've priced myself out of jobs before because I'm like, well, this is how much I'm worth. And people said, you may be worth it. We're just not willing to pay that money. So I'm just speaking from experience. We're just, you know, obviously extra commas and zeros involved in in what we're talking about. But my advice to Ben, not that he's going to give a crap about what I have to say, but you've made a crap ton of money here these last few years. If you aren't sitting with a with a nice cushion in your bank account, you've bought too many restaurants and too many condos and too much other stuff. So um you can afford, you know, if if someone's willing to if someone if you know, if Grissini'll say, "Hey, come ride for us and we can get you 500 grand." then cool, go do it. Or better yet, you want $2 million U.S. to to, uh, to go ride? What you need to do is go ride for free for someone and bring $2 million in sponsorship with you. Now, supposedly, you and Kevin had a huge, you know, had some deal worked out uh, to bring sponsorship with you to set up on a, on a satellite Suzuki team. What's going on with that now? Did that fall through? U.S. economy and all that other happy stuff? Is that, you know, that gone bad? Um, get some sponsorship money with you and... um and, uh, you know, fund yourself. I mean, that's how a lot of these guys get rides and get paid is they bring sponsorship with you or go and work with, you know, Rockstar and, and be like full on Rockstar deal uh, with the energy drink so that, you know, like some of these other guys that you get, you know, two hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars or a million plus to have, you know, a big logo on the side of your helmet. You know, there's a reason why. Jamie Hacking and Roger Hayden and, and a lot of these other guys, a big monster energy drink thing or, or the Red Bull thing. Well, some of these guys are getting mid-six figures to have that there. Find a way to fund it yourself so that it's not – you can get on the good equipment and the money is not an issue. Sorry, I didn't mean to go down that road, but it just it's just one of those things. Um, finally, we're going to talk about the Canadian Superbike Final at uh, Shannonville. That's this weekend, which I am headed out for here uh, tomorrow. And let me uh, pull up the uh, press release here because there were a couple things I wanted to talk about. Now, as we talked about uh, on the last show, Jordan Zoak wrapped up the 600 championship, the Pro 600, the Ocean Mirror Pro 600 championship um, when they were out at Shubenacton. However, uh, he has not yet wrapped up the Superbike championship, and he comes into Shannonville with a pretty substantial lead. I mean, it's a pretty solid lead, 287 to 240, uh, 245 over Clint McBain. Uh, and there are 56 points maximum in the in the weekend. So he leads by 42 with 56 there. Uh, much like last year, he just needs a solid race, and he'll win the championship. Unfortunately, McBain missing out um, that first race with the separated shoulders really killed this championship. He's had a fabulous um, uh, year this year, especially given the fact that he has no support from Suzuki this year and has grossly outperformed the you know official Suzuki team. So major props to uh, to Clint on that. Um, but Jordan looks to wrap up, is looking to wrap up um, three championships in a row, and that will be his fifth championship overall. Um, now I think the total record for Canadian Superbike championships is uh, is with Steve Crevier, uh, and I think he has six. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to scan the, uh, the press release here because that was actually pretty, uh, yep, six titles. So Crevier actually has like one more, I think it's one more Superbike win, um, in total, for for the you know uh, for Canada, then 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 uh, Zoke, and uh, if he wraps up this, then he'll have one more 
uh, championship than him. And I think this is one of those deals Jordan's not worrying about worry about winning the race, although, you know, if it's there, he'll take it. This is one of those deals of he'll ride his own race, ride at a comfortable pace, not make any mistakes, finish up uh, up near the front, if not, you know, on the box, and take a championship. So that'll be that'll be cool. Um, let's see. They talk about a couple other uh, championships in here going on. Uh, Walter Bardellini, who's an Italian guy, who's been riding on the NCR Ducati team, uh, is trying to wrap up the championship for their uh, Thunder class. Um, you know, they have the SV650, SV650, um, cup, uh, uh, final there. And there's like two or three different, uh, guys running for the championship there, uh, with uh, 15 year old, uh, Cody Matichuk running up there. So that's actually a stepson for Clinton McBain now. So, uh, should be good. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun up there and would encourage all my uh, friends in Canada who are, li- you know, who listen to the show, come on out there. I know it's a couple hours east of Toronto, uh, but I know there's some of you out in Quebec. Um, wherever. Come on, you know, it's the last race of the season for your series. Come out, support it. I'll be announcing, like I said, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And there's a chance that they'll be streaming the broadcast on the web off of cdnsuperbike.com. So really excited to head up there. And something I've been working on since, really since Mossboard, of trying to announce up there. Um, I enjoy the series. It's a lot of fun. A lot of great people up there. It's always a good time. Pretty relaxed. And... Um, yeah, well, who knows? Maybe next year I can convince someone to let me announce at all the races. Anyways, uh, with that, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. We've gone uh, pretty long on this show. We'll be, uh, wow, over two hours again. So my apologies for that. I've been trying to keep the shows a little shorter, uh, but uh, obviously that's not going to work out. Uh, those of you who um, who also listen to Live Fast Racing Show, some of your feedback on that, had a little bit on that, did that about a week and a half ago, week, week and a half ago now with uh, John Hall. And uh, so that's up at livefastracing.com. Uh, looking forward, uh, I actually am going, I think, will be on uh, WDFN.com, or excuse me, WDFN, which is Sports Radio 1130, here in Detroit on the 5th of September. No, uh, the 4th of September, I believe, is when it is. Uh, I'll be doing four-wheel stuff, NASCAR, and talking about other car racing and stuff like that. Um, I had Rob Pasco, who's a local radio host, hosts a NASCAR show on WDFN uh, as a guest on Live Fast Racing, and he's invited me on to do his show, uh, probably the 720 to 730 segment. We'll talk about uh, what I do at Milan Dragway and some other things. So it's not a done deal yet. Uh, we're working on it. Once uh, once I get back from Canada, I'll, I'll be giving Rob a call. We're going to work everything out, but I'm hoping. So uh, it looks like... Um, like I said, uh, on that Thursday, and and I'll send uh, I'll send something out again. Twitter and Pounce, I'll, I'll talk about it. Uh, but uh, if you want to listen to it, it's uh, WDFN.com, and they and they do a streaming deal, and and so that you can you can hear. And if not, uh, you know whatever. So, uh, so Speedy G7, hey, what's going on? How, so uh, what else is going on? That that's a big thing. So Twitter Twitter.com forward slash Rumble Strip. Uh, pounce.com forward slash rumble strip if you want to find out. Oh, it's Charles. Okay. Hey, Charles, what's going on? Appreciate you stopping in. So my compost boys are uh, are in here, and uh, next time you need to join them here. As I said, if you uh, if you follow me on those uh, things, you'll you'll know when I decided to record another show and broadcast. Yep, compostwriters.com. Thank you, Scott. Um, you don't have to be from Chicago to join. It just helps, or at least know all the guys from Chicago and, and participate in some of the stuff that, that goes on there. 
I get away with it because I'm an old Glera guy and hung out with them. And yeah, four hours away, I get to do occasional things with them. Not enough though. Stuff, yes, stuff. Uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll get out of here uh, on that note. I'll let you know that Rumble Strip Radio is a production of Raul Duke Media LLC and is protected under a Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. Uh, hit us up on the Twitter. Hit us up on the Pounce. Make sure that you're subscribing to us on uh, iTunes through your favorite RSS feed. Leave us some uh, feedback or some reviews on iTunes. As I said, though, haven't had an, had any um, in a few weeks. But those of you who had much appreciated, even if you know you're not the hugest fan of the show, I do appreciate your feedback. And by continuing to leave a feedback on the iTunes store, that really increases our visibility as well. So if you can do that for us, that is awesome. If you could donate to the show, that would always be uh, greatly appreciated. You can go over to rumblestripradio.com, hit the donate button over there, and do that. And as I said, even if it's just five bucks, it's greatly appreciated. It goes to pay for hosting uh, with that as well. So. Uh, Outro music this week? I don't know. I haven't really selected anything for outro music this week. Uh, I guess you'll get what you get when you hear it, right? So until I talk to you again uh, next time, have fun, be good, most importantly, keep it on two wheels. We'll talk with you soon. Yeah.